This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. Comic Book Click is on Patreon, guys. For as little as $0.10 cents a day or $3 a month, not only can you help keep the lights on here at Comic Book Click headquarters, but your donation gives you access to exclusive content like CBC commentaries, polls where you can choose what content we cover next, and special behind-the-scenes footage of things here at Comic Book Click. Visit Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse today and become a Patreon. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. Hello everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason, that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I am never alone. Sir, can you please introduce yourself? I'm a very Dan excited comic book man. Dan, the comic book man's excited, and we'll get to that in a bit, but it has been getting quite chilly in my neck of the woods. I've moved to Tampa, Florida roughly around six months ago and used to days of 80 and 90 degrees but it's gotten a bit chilly i think those in the scientific sector might blame uh you know global warming those in the religious sector might blame might blame little nas x but if you live in blue valley it might get blamed on a certain demon a certain devil a certain spirit that seems to go out of its way to feed on the negativity and the malice that exists in every each and every one of us i'm talking of course about the villain and star in many ways of season two of star girl eclipso and that's what we're here to talk about in general ladies and gentlemen star girl season two a show that uh the show in general star girl is some thing that we're big fans of in comic book click but no one is more a fan of this show than dan the comic book man so i have asked him oh, I love it. to sit in the driver's seat for the first time today be the play-by-play guy for this episode and uh you know we'll go through character by character how some of the arcs are beautifully set up and then spiked in a this awesome game of volleyball uh that is star girl season two but yeah, first and foremost, spoiler-free. If you haven't seen Stargirl, go out and see it. Not only do we have an episode covering the comic that it's based on um, and going through the history of that character's creation and how close she is to creator Jeff Johns, but we've gone and we've done um, the entire episode, the first season. We've, we covered the first season. As a matter of fact, we covered the first pilot uh, as its own episode, which is <laughs> that's a whole other story for later. But this show has a very uh, big place in our hearts. But again, no one's heart has a spot for it as much as yours, Dan. So I guess tell the people what they could expect if they've never gotten into Stargirl. And then we'll go full spoilers to those who have seen it and just kind of sort of gush over everything we've seen. Okay, so for the for anybody that has not been fully, you know, uh, introduced to the world of Stargirl, Stargirl hit me by storm when uh, a year ago, when we were doing our social distancing and George was still in New York, we had a certain episode that was supposed to go out. But as far as scheduling and stuff, everybody has their own lives. It went awry and we were like, we needed to cover something. 
hey, there was these big drops. And at that point, it was a really big drop for DC News. We decided to cover DC News at the same time that we covered. At that the same time that Stargirl episode one, the pilot episode premiered on the DC Universe app. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, let me watch this. Let me just watch this show. Like, you know, I never really give CW shows an open-minded first chance. But with Stargirl, I'm like, let me just go into this with all of the closed off skepticism in the world. And I did. And I fell in love in a way that I don't think many comic book shows has made me fall in love. And yeah. every week a new episode came out and every week the show just piled on with character dynamics and good dialogue, awesome fight scenes and giving a respect to a DC team that many fans don't even think about. Yeah. The Justice Society of America, the, the first Justice League, for this show to tackle on the mantles of the very first true team in comic book history is it, it, Jay Garrick of Flash, you know, Alan Scott, Green Lantern. Yeah, the OG. I mean, Dr. Fate, I mean, they had Dr. Fate. That's yeah, same difference. Ted Grant. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I guess, same difference, but they had Ted Grant's Wildcat. You got guys like Dr. Midnight, uh, villains like Icicle in Shade, thrown in ways that seem almost tormenting and scary and intimidating. Yeah. Icicle was a very, very intimidating villain. Cold blooded, in all pun season. intended, right? No, but he he had no problem murking a child. Yeah, that's true. No problem. And then murking the father that felt he deserved retribution for his child's death. He's like, you know what? I'm going to take you out too. <laughs> I think I feel I feel like um, you know, to just get on what you're talking about. This show has a large amount of heart. And, you know, you've probably heard me, people who have heard this podcast know that, you know, what I'm looking for in my superhero media is heart, humor, and spectacle. I'm looking to see, you know, um, really heartwarming moments. I'm looking to deal with the humor. I like the piffy stuff. I like the the little, you know, jokes here and there and stuff. And then the spectacle, I want to see these uh action scenes and stuff and i feel like a lot of times with this with in this new generation people are more focused on the action and they believe the only way to tell a story is like the most complex and most dense and gritty and dark way and i think i was kind of on that same tip for a while until i saw this show um even getting into it like I, i'm so removed from high school at this point that i don't have that relation like i i don't i don't have that that sort of um like oh yeah you know that that sort that happened to me um kind of stuff so i feel like in many ways the show manages to relate to a younger class of person whilst also maintaining the heart that i think should exist in comic book media and then this season more than the first season i think tests that good nature of this these characters of the setting it tests that you know um almost old-fashioned stuff 
you know, in many ways, everything about Stargirl is what I think about when I think about like Clark Kent Superman. I'm sorry, Smallville Superman. Small town, good no, values, all that stuff. So like when people say like Superman being old fat, oh, Superman being the way he is is old fashioned and there's no place for it. It's almost to say there's no place for this story, you know, because this is as yeah. as old fashioned as Americana, as American Pie as as all those things and this definitely has a place the the message overall of season two of you know not letting your soul be poisoned by the bad things that have happened in your life is something that we can take with us at all different kinds of ages and we get to see like i cared about these characters i've been watching a lot of tv lately to cover for this podcast and i cared about every member of the jsa in different ways i cared about certain villains that i didn't think i was going to care about because they find a way to humanize people it, be, it it's a human story with superpowers as a vo- as of uh, as opposed to being a superhero show with the occasional human moment and that's the media that's always going to move me the one that i feel like is actual stories of realistic human beings um and then the other stuff is also cherries on top but ultimately agree with you more with that. yeah yeah ultimate ultimately i feel like we have to hit that balance of both um, and I think that this show, but especially this season, did it. The first one, like I said, I, I dug it. I was right here with you. We recorded. It was g- good. But this second one was when I actively reached out to you before I finished it. And I was like, this is really, really good. <laughs> like, this is getting good. Oh, it was it was certain episodes. And it, we're only at this point, four weeks into the show, five weeks into the show. And there's certain episodes that just, you're like, wait a minute. When did they ever get the... The, the heart yeah. to write stuff like this. And Why does this affect it was, it me? Was, like, there's cheesy moments in this that had they occurred elsewhere, I would have been like, come on, that's the most cliche, that's the most, you know, bottom, uh, you know, barrel kind of stuff to go for. But uh, we, I've had this discussion, you know, I think it was a couple weeks ago when we were covering Why the Last Man. There's only so many stories to tell. In, in in actuality it, you're a film lover and you know this like it, it like it's one like how i can't say a three-act structure is cliche it's like that's how you tell a story <laughs> if you want to shift this if you want to shift the first act the second act the third act yeah if you want to shift those things around you have the complete you know autonomy to do so but you, the like <laughs> that's like saying eggs in a in a cake is cliche or so that there's certain ingredients you need to yeah, make like the thing that you want to make milk and any dessert is cliche yeah and i've agreed with gt and he'll definitely listen to this and i've agreed with gt that at this point in our human existence billions of years there's no way that there is more than 15 stories told trillions to infinite amount of times. Right. Like Jesus, the, the, char- the character, the, whatever you believe in, whether he's a character or a person, Jesus Christ is a story that is literally cemented in the hero's journey. Yeah. Literally. Like yeah. you, you can't do any superhero without in some way making him a jesus christ character quote quote you know luke skywalker so I, I, is I, I, harry I, potter in many ways or vice versa you <laughs> understand like yeah, it, it yeah. how many yeah. times can you tell the story of the irremarkable person who finds out that they're crazy remarkable actually they didn't know how remarkable that they were and what they're about yeah, they to go were, and they fight were in this power through lineage 
Yeah, and now they're going to go and 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 they'll be the chosen one, the only one to tackle these things. And I'm not I'm not saying it as a criticism of either one of those properties. I'm saying that what you then have to do if you know you you're taking from the pile of uh, tired and exhausted stories is you have to then add original wrinkles to it. You have to then I think more so than any of that stuff, you got to make me care and about the characters. Yeah, yes, you gotta make yes, me care yes, about the characters 100%. because, in, in all honesty, I watched Doom Patrol and some of those episodes don't lead anywhere. I mean, some of the emotional beats, obviously, you know, are a character development stuff, right? But I feel like um, I, it's more so that I care about them so much that I'd watch them do anything. You understand? If you if you took the cast of Titans and put them in a Doom Patrol episode, like you gave them the, a Doom Patrol esque plot, I'd be like, wow, this show has run out of ideas. Because I already have built-in malice because I don't care about the characters. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm already like, anything that they try to do, I'm... I care about the characters. Exactly. I gotta, I gotta care about them. And I gotta think that the villain is wrong. There's been this other wrinkle, right? Of being like, oh, well, you know, the righteous villain. The... I, I hate it. I, I honestly, it has, been, it has been done so many times that I kind of found myself saying, what happened to the days where a villain just wanted to be a villain to be a villain? Look at Hans Gruber in Die Hard 1. He just wanted money. He didn't do it because he was slighted. He didn't do it out of revenge. The guy he killed didn't kill his wife and family. He just wanted to be rich because he's a bad person. Whatever happened to those days where villains just wanted to be evil to be evil? No, I have to have this terrible upbringing that makes me see that humanity will never change. Now... I'm Arthur Fleck Joker. You know, you, if, you know, you people walk all over me in the in the street. But if I was rich, socialite, you would help me. Like, what do you mean, you people? You sounded like a Calypso over there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. You know, but the thing, the nuance about the whole villain rede- redemption story, I sort of kind of get. Um, but we're, we're we're using it wrong. Basically, that like I have two different points on this, and then we can actually get into Star Girl. But the first being that I to, sometimes the cartoonish villainy is almost to say that no one can change, right? It's almost to say that a, a villain being a villain like that, like all Joker is, is he's almost not even a person. He's more so a monster. Any villain is is, is more so a monster. The Joker is an idea, but that's a whole other story. Right, 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 right. But that's mostly because he's been around for eighty plus years and has, you know, kind of gone on Batman's case and stuff like that. But like, I'm, I'm talking more so like a- anybody who's been redeemed lately. Like, um, we, we, we don't want as a society to get to a point where we're, we're quick to write people off because it becomes a slippery slope as to who you write off and for what reason. Now, I'm saying murder, rape, those kind of things. You know. That you seriously need to <laughs> to reevaluate those people, but I'm not completely comfortable with with the slipping slope of you did something wrong slash illegal, so you shouldn't exist here on this earth anymore. Um, and so I think that they're trying to find a middle ground with that. But what you gotta do, in my opinion, is do what I random two things: do what this show did, do what Black Panther did, which is to show the error of blaming and hurting other people for your pain because everyone does it yeah people hurt people yeah everyone does it i think you know it's it's a reactionary thing you do it you probably 
don't want to do it, you probably hopefully have stopped doing it and found more healthier ways to cope. But it's very much human nature to lash out. You know, it's very much human nature that when you feel like things are unfair and stuff like that, to to kind of pawn off that unfairness. People talk all the time about like, you know, the, the bullied eventually hope to get to a place of power. And then what do they do once they get there? They bully. And it's like, what, so what was the point? So it wasn't, no, you weren't against the act. You were just against it happening to you. And so, you know, okay, I- I just have to say real quick, because um, you brought up a bully factor. And every time I see that bully cliche in movies and TV shows where there's someone that had a rough home life and that's why they bully. Maybe I'm a rare case, but I had an actual legit bully in middle school for three years. No, yeah, for three years in middle school, I had a legit actual bully that bullied me. Mm -hmm. And then one day we, we, we had to be, I actually fought back against him one day and I fought him and we spent in-house suspension together for a week and we ended up becoming friends. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget his name. His name was Kyle Barnett. I'll never forget his name. Really tall black kid. He was a football player. Bullied mm -hmm. the crap out of me. When we became friends, I got to actually see his home life. His father and mother, amazing. His brother, awesome. His, his older brother, awesome. His little sister, awesome. This dude had a legit, actual good home life and still chose to be a bully in school. So sometimes... There truly is no rhyme or reason to why a person is bad. They are just bad or evil. And that's what we, I guess we're going to get to with Calypso. Sometimes yeah. people are just born to be an antagonist. Right. Like you can have the greatest home life ever and still want to hurt people. Yeah. Like I look at it kind of even like, like the, the, you know, we're just talking about Harry Potter, right? Like the Dursleys, like they're not necessarily coming from a bad family or something like that like the the kid to get spoiled even but there's something not feeding the soul there's something that's not helping the person progress and want to have like i have innate empathy for people i don't give to everyone who, who needs money unfortunately no, I'm, I don't. I'm the same way with that empathy stuff i'm the same way yeah so like i i'm i'm inherently empathetic uh towards people um, and those who don't have that empathy need to kind of find it or, you know, somebody has to find it for them. And that's not always the easiest if you've been raised in a situation where you're not, you don't have empathy or you don't, you know, um, you aren't raised to look for the, the good in people. You know, it's, it's, it can sometimes be a very daunting task to see somebody, like you said, a bully or bad person, whatever you want to label them and try to see through that. Why? Why bother? Why try to go through the muck, you know, and, and try and see anything good out of them. But because the thing is to just figure out what it is that like what sort of um release of emotions can you not comprehend that needs to be anger and pain. They're, like yeah. I'm not gonna lie, there are some times where I am so sad the first thought that legit hits my head is I need to hurt my hand. I need to break my wrist. I want to punch this wall so hard that all of my anger and emotions just turns into, ow, this hurts. Right. Like it happens, but 
but like in the show Midnight Mass, thing it a, a thing that hits you doesn't change you. Who you are is who you are. See, I think I think that you know, and self harm, which is something that I've I've had to deal with on my own end here. Um, it's about control. Those things we do sometimes self-destructively is about control is we can't control anything else but we can control this if if life is gonna hurt me at least if i hurt myself i can choose when to expect that pain and how much of that pain where you know i'm gonna i'm gonna have and there's no way to act there's no way to live life but those who do not have control they seek it out in other ways you've seen the people who have who are um narcissists in relationships and stuff like that but to me it all boils down to this idea that in my opinion no one is born inherently evil and no one is born to be malicious no baby is born and hits a doctor you can't it's impossible it is literally an impossible task to believe that when a baby is born the second it breathes it smiles and twirls its mustache and says, maybe mm-hmm. Damien, you know, from Rosemary's baby or whatever. Maybe well, no, well, that, well, that, that and pet cemetery are different. No you know, pet cemetery is even uh, more different because the baby didn't come out that way. They killed the baby and then they well, the buried the baby. Yeah. Stop running well, after maybe, those balls. Maybe <laughs> Oh, I think it's time for us to get into season two. It's a dangerous, it's a dangerous thing. But yes, let's talk about, and you know, we were kind of lightly talking about it, the overarching, uh, you know, issue, plot, whatever. We're coming off of season one. So we're coming off of the aftermath of the seemingly end of the injustice society. And the the, JSA. Right. And we have our JSA, which is Dr. Midnight. Our man, Star Girl, and Wildcat, and and Stripe, and Stripe, and Stripe, and Stripe. To be fair, and Stripe, he's and so I don't, I don't look at him as a sidekick to Courtney, even though they, the comics he actually is a sidekick to Courtney in this show, especially this season. He has been nothing more than a mentor. He's like but, the stick of this group, but very, very little Stripe work in this season. Very little very Stripe. Little stripe in this and they found creative I ways to get around it yeah, yeah yeah i mean they're like look they're like striper grundy you gotta you gotta pick bro you can't have them in the same episode you know we'll do that at the end if we, if we can afford it but right now come on one or the other we need grundy for rick's story no but you know what i appreciate grundy for rick's story and i i, I like the subtle ways that they were able to neuter the stripe armor yeah in smart ways, it was smart. Yeah. It's not like they just did a whole, let's kill off this whole stripe thing. Oh, I'm going to hang up my armor because I'm going to be a family man, Pat Duke. And a lesser show would have found a lesser way to not have stripe in this season. I agree. Um, I think actually, if we're going character by character, I think oddly enough, even though they're not a JSA member, the first character that we pro- should probably talk about and their arc is somebody who I think is what sets all of this in motion. And it is the person that I'm using that's right behind me in my uh, in my video, 
which is uh, Cindy Berman, aka Shiv. She is a uh, remnant oh, yes. Yes, of, of last season, right? We saw her pick up that Eclipso diamond in the school. I believe she that's where she found it because that's where Shade's looking for it later on when she, or in some building, that's where Shade's looking for no, it later was, on. Some, yeah, I think she was like, she was scoping some kind of, it looked like an art, you know, those cliche FBI archive. Yeah, those boxes. Where, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wood wood grain boxes or whatever that they have over there. But um, she comes in, into contact with an Eclipso diamond with the Eclipso diamond. That's what it's called in the comics, the Eclipso diamond or the heart of darkness. In this, they just call it the black diamond. Um, and in it tra- is trapped like black diamond because it's purple. But it's, <laughs> let's call it the black diamond, even though it's purple. Uh, inside houses of very dangerous entity can be called the Eclipso, but you know cindy is so pissed by all the events of season one um you know and the and the loss of the isa in general that she is laser driven and li- literally makes a deal with the devil that costs her her stepmother's life so long as she's able to get back at courtney and the rest of the jsa what do you think of this beginning oh, uh, arc I for yeah, what it do you was think? great for her because all right, so starting off, it was great for her to see that when we get the uh end credits, I guess it was an end credit scene, kind of. When we get that end credit scene of her holding the Eclipso diamond, it, it sets off this motion of all right, we're gonna get a big baddie for season two. Season two is gonna give us something huge. And then you have her killing off her stepmother and in one of the most perfect visual directions i have ever seen a director tell an actor to do as soon as the whole events of her stepmother being fed to the diamond go down and she's turning into ash her face is changing her eyes are widening they're getting doughier she's scared and she's like i i i didn't want that <laughs> one of the things I you always one of the things you're always reiterating to me on this uh, about this show is that because we've taken so much comic book media it's hard to remember that the characters on this are about 16 years old <laughs> oh yes, yes. They're, they're teenagers so even though she Not is the big bad you're younger than me. 18 like 12 years younger than me 18 years younger than you george yeah that's how i say it's been a long time bro it's been a long time so um like I could like I she, of course she has like a weird hatred boner for Courtney, but the idea that she seemingly and mistakenly murders her stepmother and can't do anything about it because she's already made this deal with this demon entity, and she's sixteen. <laughs> like you put all those things together, and it's it's horrifying. And a lot of this season is horrifying. I think that honestly, because oh, I, I honestly, what I think it was horrifying about it the most is that this sh- the, the the theme of this show is feeding on your worst, the worst of who you are is what I mean. Like it feeds on your fear, it feeds on your anxiety, your jealousy, your hatred, anything that you would deem a negative quality about you. These characters have to deal with it in 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 the most realist of ways it's almost a self-reflection of the second mantle the third mantle like like who am I, like am i really truly worthy of being the second dr midnight did my parents really want me to be 
the second hour, man. And knowing that, so much of that, knowing that hatred is what fuels this entity, was there anyone with more anger than Cindy Berman at the time in Blue Valley? Like everything she had towards her parents, everything, well, towards her dad, sorry. Everything she had towards Courtney, everything that was going on. Wasn't she dating Henry uh, at the beginning uh, of that? What, what happened was, is, and I no, she, uh, uh, she stole Henry because she was jealous of Yolanda's life. And it said that she, she told Yolanda, like, I've known you since the fourth grade or kindergarten. Like, I've always been jealous of your life. Henry didn't send those pictures to everybody. I did. Like, yeah, I would just want to talk once, about that real quick. When that happened, I was like, because when she did it, I said, there's no... George, that was unlike any show I've ever... Uh, not show, any unlike any comic book show I've ever seen. Yolanda's specific. It was titled episode four, Wildcat. I've never seen an opening like it. Never. Oh, yeah. But I mean more so when Cindy in this season tells Yolanda that she's the one who leaked the pictures. Um, it, it Like the whole change on, on Yolanda's face. Someone, she had been... She had been hating Henry for because years. Of the pictures. She always, yes, she always hated Henry for the pictures, even though her de- his death weighed on her and the death of his father weighed on her. At the end of the day, one of the, the main crux of her anger towards him was you sent those nudes that I sent to you in confidence as a Christian girl to as a, span, a Hispanic Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> as a yeah. Hispanic Catholic in my teens who went to church every Sunday, I sent you these pictures in confidence and it ended up on a freaking uh, projector during my student body president. Campaign. Yeah, every, everyone got messages and stuff. And as she was, as Cindy was espousing this, like, hey, remember that time we were all in the graduation and you were doing your acceptance speech? And but that, I'm, I, I, I just, I felt weird with that. But I'm saying I, I thought she was just like prodding at her, but she was actually revealing this this thing. Like I'm the one who did that. And we find that later on it's it's so the ends could justify the means so that Yolanda will feel like she needs to be on the team to watch Cindy because she's so untrustworthy. But um yes, yeah, Cindy. Yeah, but it's is, crazy because even even um Beth Beth and uh Stargirl, Courtney, vocalized to the audience, I don't trust Cindy, but at mm. this point, Cindy is a asset to our team. So all yeah. three of those girls, 100%, the, the three main girls of the, of the JSA don't trust her right. at any point. And she has and her head. She's in over her head with this whole Eclipso stuff, even with this, with this, uh, revenge boner as I, I affectionately have been calling it. And she goes ahead, uh, you know, the, um, the, the dragon doesn't fall t- too far from the tree, I guess, because she goes ahead and she creates her own version of the Injustice Society. Injustice Unlimited, and she is looking for recruits. So she grabs up, you know, uh, children of well-known ISA members. Uh, she gets the son of the fiddler. She gets the daughter of the sportsmaster and tigress. Um, I believe that was it. She has her eyes set on Mike. We find out later on is to use him as bait, <laughs> which is not so great. But she, I mean, I think she would have killed uh, Mike if given a chance. So 
we're in a situation right now where Shiv puts a line in the sand and basically calls out Stargirl, forces a confrontation in a high school that breaks down into an all-and-out fight between the Injustice Unlimited. One of the best fight scenes I have seen in an... Not, it's not a comic book TV show because there's been a lot of streaming services that have uh, funded comic book TV shows and they have the money to back the budget. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. But for something like CW, and I know yeah. it's Warner's, but CW truly, if you look at the, I'm sorry, if you look at the ratings for a lot of their original TV shows, especially comic book TV shows, they don't get the ratings that you think they would get. Yeah. A, so for a show like Stargirl season two that came off of the subpar ratings of the DC app to get a budget like this for a fight scene like that cafeteria fight scene of the new JSA versus the new ISA or Injustice Unlimited. Injustice Unlimited. Injustice Unlimited. With and old school team. shooter Isaac, who's also coming at Yolanda all crazy, talking about, I saw that picture. We all saw that okay. picture. I'm like, what you when, doing, when, bro? When he was in, no, I, I I, didn't know where that scene was going. So when, that, when the scene happened and he's in the, the diner, I'm thinking, yo, is this dude going to try and flirt with her? Is he going to try and like feed her sweet nothing? I thought they were doing the whole thing of him feeding her sweet nothings for her to fall for him. And then it'd be the reveal of I'm actually a big bad that's here for revenge. I don't but remember no, him from season the, one. Uh, the principal was the, the black woman, Principal Bowen. No, I'm talking about the... And oh, yes, son. yes, 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 yes. Okay. And now like, that and is he like... Was, he was not cast. Is it isn't the the thing on the violin called the bow? Isn't that the isn't that the stick? Yes, yes, yes. What you what you strike across the the violin is the you strike, I stroke. <laughs> Sir, we are a family show. Yes, we are. I think at least for this episode. <laughs> but yeah, so the bow. So the way yeah, he strikes the bow, the bow and also I the Wow. Yeah, that's, that's what wow, I'm saying, actually, bro. The bow is. Wow, I actually never. I've been watching this show since last year. I read the comics. know that it was called the Bowens, like Bowens bow. Yeah, the Bowens. Um, but I, yeah, you know, we we have both of we have this little team of 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 ne'er do wells going against our team in the in the JSA, and you know. The, the, those fights get rough you know they they get real rough and tumble but i thought it was incredibly edited we've seen superhero fights all, all kinds of crazy you know we civil war is probably up there right with like being able to cut and intertwine between several different people fighting at one point oh, yeah, exactly the, the, the fact that you could have a team of like six on six and be able to give a perfect representation of here's two minutes of scarlet witch and uh hawkeye here's two minutes of giant man and spider-man like you know it's yeah so to be able to do it in this kind of setting where you have cindy uh fiddler jr sportsmaster jr wait that's it yeah yeah three on three oh three on four three on four but and it's I, i guess it speaks to the way that this show should really handle beth chapel more that in a three-on-four fight, you still get three-on-three. Three in the she went to go save Mike. That was her. 
That was oh, her yes, job. Yes, you know, it just, yes, she went to go save Mike and I give her that. But it was also a moment and I can't remember who it was, but she uses her goggles to make this big projection of. Oh, that happens on Artemis. Artemis is her parents. <laughs> That's what yeah, it is. She just, yeah. like, duplicates her parents wanted poster around her and it stops her for a minute and i i actually felt a real genuine love for the cw at that point where i'm like oh my god beth chapel not only did something but she did it in such a cool and emotionally driven way where you're yeah. like she doesn't need to swing her fists she just has to show you her parents are in jail. <laughs> you know what's also incredibly interesting, and this is a little tangent, but like this, this show does incredible world building, you know. And uh, we yes. we've just covered Titan season three, and what is that world? Like, I don't expect people to just pop up out of nowhere. That world it seems very manicured, very, you know, um, like like it. it it doesn't feel like a real world where things are unpredictable and anything can happen. Whereas in this, you know, we know parents and parents of parents. The JSA has existed for a very long time. So it, their villains have existed for as long or even longer. Um, anybody from anybody's past can pop up at any moment. Whereas in Titans, it, the only people that seem to pop up are people that affect Dick directly. And, you know, <laughs> maybe on oh, occasion, I mean, some other characters. How, like, not just out of left field. But tell me how out of left field did Barbara just come out of nowhere? Not only did Barbara come out of nowhere, but Barbara came out of nowhere in a chair, already given up the mantle of Oracle. And Jim Gordon's already dead and she's already the chief of police yeah. in Gotham. So but like the world did didn't feel that way. Like it, no, in in a better show, he would have been hinting at Barbara for years had they known each other for years. In a better show, they would have hinted at the death of Jim Gordon for years. But that that show only gives us information when it soothes their plot. Whereas this even, has even been when they brought in Batman. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, no, no. You're straight. I was just saying that. No, uh, but I it's self-serving. It's not. It's not to create a tapestry for the world. It's to get to the next episode on that show. It's to it's it's fan service. Titans felt nothing more like fan service. Like you're gonna bring in. Not only are you gonna bring in a, an idea that we had of Jim Gordon in this Titans world, but he's dead. His daughter has already given up her second comic book mantle to be the chief of police. And Batman, when you introduce him in season two, has not talked about that affecting him once. When did Ian Glenn? ever say oh my god i can't believe i let jim die at the hands of such and such and so and so or like you say when did dick even in season one have a flashback of barbara gordon being his life and they grew up in this sort of setting so it's self-serving as to where this if they bring something in they're bringing it in because they want to build on it right exactly so like all all Everyone in Stargirl feels like a, like we are like they that that world exists when we're not watching it and we get these glimpses into that world when the show starts. Whereas Titans feels like that they don't do nothing until we start watching and then they start <laughs> and then they exist and then once we stop they stop. Nothing else changes in the background. Nothing else moves. Um, but 
Speaking because of moving, the show literally picks up. Oh yeah, let's move. Let's move. No, I was just saying in general, you know that that uh, diamond um, comes into play in this fight, and the, our good guys end up having to enlist some help from the pun intended shadiest of of, of characters. <laughs> Do you want to talk about your man, uh, Shade? Okay. The Shade. Yes, you know I feel like we should if we're gonna go character by character, we should just continue to go villains. And then go to heroes and get to the the main event, which is Courtney, because everyone's dying for us to talk about Courtney. But Shade, next villain I want to talk about. Shade is a character that not only I ex- I didn't expect to like, I didn't expect to want to know more about this actor. And there's very few actors that come into not just a comic book show, but any show that I've seen where I'm like, yo, I think I need to see more of what this guy's done. And the only other person that can come to mind is Kilgrave from Jessica Jones, where I literally started Doctor Who because I wanted to get to him as a doctor. And thankfully, Christopher Echelon, Echelon is Eccleson. the first doctor I get to Eccleson is the first doctor I get to see in that revival because Matt is just amazing. But not only Matt, but Malekith. Oh yeah, Malekith, you're cursed. Yeah, you know there, Malekith but as well. Shit. As well. Yeah, I can't believe that. And Nora is also a villain. Proxima Midnight. His sister is and <laughs> and uh, Justin Thoreau wrote Iron Man too, <laughs> which is a villain for the fans. You know, yeah. I mean, where's my bird? <laughs> Where is that poor guy's bird? No but, so came, Shade came in, and there was no. What it was was. With season one, there was a lot of uh, hearsay of what happened to Shade. When it came down to the villain's words, none none of them seen him forever. He just completely disappeared for the for Pat. Pat figured that he got killed off by the ISA, and I don't. I guess the season kind of shows why because he was kind of a of uh, an ally to the to the JSA. I mean, not the ISA. Uh, yeah, but um, no, he would be killed off by the ISA because of him being a mole for the JSA, but Shade our, our first actual introduction to the character, we don't even get to see him. We see a black thing take over Captain Midnight or Dr. Midnight in that scene where they're in the mansion. Oh yes, that's 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 what I was trying to remember because they bring it up later in the show that Dr. Midnight was dragged into the Shadowlands and he never died. It was more It was in protection. that mansion where Star where Starman seemingly dies. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's what was one what came to my head. I'm like, oh my god, he got dragged off in one of the most brutal, seemingly deaths we have seen in that show because this is the first two minutes of Star Girl pilot, and all you see is Henry Thomas in the Doctor Midnight suit being dragged into what a bottomless pit of sorts. Yeah. And we're going to see it again with uh, Cindy. But what you were talking about with Shade, uh, what's interesting with him is they they do something that, you know, I wouldn't say it's tropey, but it, it, it's it's a common practice. Uh, and it always works if done right, which is you introduce somebody who is formidable and dangerous, and you have them also be scared of somebody else. <laughs> you understand? So all of a sudden... Oh, yeah. 
you have shade in this and you're like oh my god he can hide in the shadows he can bring you to the shadow realm he seemingly has unstopping uh, unstoppable dark no, energy it, what it seems like is he can change his ma his actual body mass to be a gas he yeah. can go from being a solid to the to a gas by by just willing it but for him right. to be scared of eclipso right it tells us oh boy that eclipso must be somebody that we can't mess with and shiv was somebody that we thought we couldn't mess with and she's scared of eclipso so they did an awesome job uh showing us the power levels the power scale right because we just we just dealt with the uh with the isa you know and they were on different I mean, what did the gambler do? The gambler can't throw a punch. But, you know, like, you were sitting in a situation. The gambler was, well, uh, what's his face for Frank Castle? Um, uh, micro. Yeah. The gambler's nothing more than a micro. Yeah, he was just in the, he was the man in the chair for them. But, um, you know, so off the bat, off the rip, we're being shown by other villains that Eclipso is nothing to mess with. And I thought that that was a, that's, always well done you know they kind of did that similarly in uh daredevil season one where all these big bad mafia mobsters i'm sorry in general um criminals are hush around wilson fisk whenever his name gets brought up whatever any of that they get real you know hush mouth no, and it, it's a smart thing killing their self when they said out loud his name like that fight daredevil had yeah. outside the pre uh the precinct right. where the guy literally spiked his head because yeah. <laughs> he said Wilson Fisk's name out loud he was afraid shooters were on the roof right <laughs> yeah and they'll come after him and come after his family like it goes deep and with the whole thing with Shade you know uh they do a an okie doke with us because we're led to believe that Shade came to Blue Valley to get the Eclipso Diamond to use it for evil that's the whole thing he's a big shadowy figure no, God, dude, that's go ahead. Just, and no, I'm I'm sorry to gush over it. But <laughs> no, like, you're good. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to have like have the willpower so the fans don't find me annoying. But but I'm also doing the thing where I'm next to you in the driver's test, and I also have my own steering wheel. So I'm trying to keep my hands off of it <laughs> whilst also allowing no, you. No, to... no, 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 and I and I and I get it. I get it. But it's just like I want to. I want to just gush over over this over for a second over the writing. Where yeah. you could make me in the third episode of the season. It wasn't a sixth episode. It wasn't a penultimate. You're not getting this twist right before the finale. You're getting this twist in the first few hours of the episode. Like two and a half hours in. You're like, wait a minute. Shade is coming to Courtney in a library. And Shade's like, bro, once Eclipso killed McKnighter's daughter... I, I signed off. I, I said, no, I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to help the good guys. Like, so for Shade to tell Courtney straight up, no, I want to find that diamond to destroy it. One of the biggest twists. It was a huge twist because yeah. you don't get that. You don't, you don't get this introduction to seemingly the way he, they introduced him. And this is a writer standpoint and a, a, a director standpoint. The way they introduced Shade, him coming to Courtney's mom, and then coming to Pat, and then coming to Courtney, you would seemingly think, oh, this is going to be the big baddie, and we're going to have to fight shadows in the finale. No. The first conversation he had with Courtney one-on-one -on -one with no interference was, I'm afraid of this diamond, and I want to destroy it. 
what it did is pure evil. I may be bad, but that is pure evil. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It speaks. It's a testimony to, to what this show is trying to give you. And I just wanted to gush for a moment of <laughs> revealing that Shade is actually a, an under, for me, an understandably redeemable villain. Like he's a villain for sport, not a villain for. Right. And meanwhile, fun. meanwhile, a couple weeks ago, we were just watching a guy get high, uh, play around with the Lazarus pit and <laughs> shuffle and shuffle around. You understand? And I was, and I told you at many points, what for what and why, what is this for in the God of the Vita for what? Like, what is any of this about? But I'm like, this is ridiculous. And my, and then you, but I'm relating to a 1880s, you know, uh, villain. George, uh, you have to understand, you, we're in a Zoom chat with a video. You see, I'm a long hair guy that, that likes to touch the, the funky vegetables. So... It's for me, and I, and I like class. You can have it. And it got a <laughs> You can have it. You can have it. I don't know no bald people on 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 Star Girl. Why I'm relating it to to it so hard, <laughs> but um, yeah. So we have we have this whole thing with Shade. He's trying to get the diamond. He finds out Cindy got it. They show up. Like I said, they have their three on three fight. He shows up to try to stop uh, her from using the diamond because she doesn't know what yeah, she's and doing. Then it becomes legit five on three where shade is actually it's that's the beauty of the writing and that you don't expect it that shade comes in and now you have to just by proxy make him a jsa member because he's fighting alongside the jsa against cindy berman's isa but I'm still me as my knowledge of him being a villain. I'm still have my eyebrow raised, even in that episode. I'm still like, when yeah, is the other can, shoe going to drop? Go ahead. I'm going to ask you a serious question. Do Do you have any true history or prior relations to Shade before this? I think he was a villain on the ep- on an episode of The Flash, which made me look him up in general to find out his le- legitimacy. Because sometimes I wonder if they just making up people whole cloth. Uh, so he's a I Flash ropes gallery. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen him. And, you know, he's he's um, you know, ge- we got Gentleman Ghost, we got uh, Phantom Stranger. He's like one of those old, old-fashioned, immortal fucking you know people. So, and his name is the Shade. Like no one, like it just feels like my that's man's name is Richard Swift. Dick Swift. He's Swift with it. Dick Swift. Swift. <laughs> so that means that means when he goes to the doctors, they say uh, Swift Dick, Swift Dick. <laughs> Um, just want to put that out there. Stop. So, Stop it. so yeah, I, I'm waiting for the other shoot shoot a drop with him and and figure you know figure something out. But like, it's the same thing with Shiv. Like Shiv is out and out rolling to be a a villain, and when she eventually turns a corner, and again, maybe not. Like I still, I'm still waiting for that she had to a drop. Shiv part one, Shiv part two, and Stars and Stripes. Like he was a big part of Courtney's finding a a, a an arch enemy. I will say this. I missed the episode titles. What of this one? Yeah, it was just summer school uh, part one, summer school part two, summer school part three. No, there was no school. episode. There wasn't. There wasn't. No, there was no titles. It, That's what I'm saying. I missed them. I missed them in the sense that they were in the first oh. season. They had them. No, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, come, uh, being able to, to see. Oh, 
crap, a new episode of Stargirl. Let me look it up. Stargirl, episode one, season five, Justice Society of America. What? Right, right, right. Or the beauty of it was like every uh, member of the JSA in that first season got their name as an episode. You got Dr. Midnight. You got Our Man and Wildcat. Those were back to back to back episodes where each episode was an origin slash backstory slash focal story right of these characters and i understand that you do miss them but i have to say i kind of like that this season went with chapters because there is no b plot in this season it is all a plot and not only is it a plot but it's a plot through the pov of each specific character that you're trying to follow and as someone that came off of the last books that he read was game of thrones and for five books of game of thrones every single chapter was literally a name catlin Tyrion, john darn aries like there was you could look at these chapters here as issues this was the most comic book it felt comic booky even towards the end like that's why this is the best show of this year when you finish a comic book at the end, there's always a stinger of like, oh, but guess what's coming next? Or you thought the villain was over, but guess chapter what's about to happen? Chapter five is coming after chapter right. six, yeah. Right, uh, and they did they did such a, a great job with that. But to continue with the shade, because he's going to lead us into some interesting places, he's the one who reveals that they tangled with Eclipso once before. Like you said, he actually factually killed a daughter of a member of the JSA, he kills Dr. Midnight's daughter. And so it is decided amongst the JSA it was that a they whole need funeral, bro. Yeah. Like it's sad. That Not brought me Watchmen vibes. <laughs> I got Watchmen so, vibes. I actually got a I'm not gonna lie, I got a couple of Watchmen vibes, but other the, there was a lot of comic book movies moments in here that got me. But I did get Watchmen vibes from that. But not only that, there was actual villains outside of their attire at this man's daughter's funeral yeah that just shows you that the these villains, they yeah. yeah like yo we're bad but we have a moral code for a villains to have a moral code and to to display these uh golden age villains the most ridiculous names the most ridiculous costumes icicle fiddler the gambler the shade dr midnight you know like these are really weird and old school names but for them to have this moral code where even i wouldn't kill my arch enemy's daughter it really shows to why eclipso stole the year from me and i think eclipso is the best villain of 2021 what do you think about the conversation that they end up having, you know, um, where it's decided that because Eclipso needs a host to, you know, do his evil deeds to become more powerful, that it is decided after the death of Charles McKnight's daughter that they will kill the host that um, houses well, it, Eclipso? It, 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 I wouldn't say broke me because I've been broken so many times that at this point you're literally just stepping on embers. Yeah, but it what hurt the most was when Pat was the this yeah no not the deciding vote, but no star stars and stripes was the deciding vote, Starman Starman but yeah Pat was the second to last deciding vote 
Star Spangled Kid. Uh, real big, real big uh, congrats for them to be able to get John Wesley shipping because I do think that that Jay Garrick's Flash, say, you know, uh, expressing the oh, same thing yes. as him. Yes. That I, I, I had history with that character, so to have him come in and be like, "We don't do this. What the hell? Like, we don't kill people." I'm like. I, I trust him. I believe him. I believe that that's how he truly feels. And he also is on the same side as Pat. Why is it you know? that they keep bringing in the same Jay Garrick Flash, but they re truly redeem this man with his own fucking... I want him to... Oh, get that, that, that actor, uh, John Wesley Ship. Yeah. Dude, it's, at this point, it's unfair. 1990s Flash, bringing him back in the Flash TV show and then bringing him here... Making him James G Jay Garrick was a stroke of, of genius. I mean, making him um, Barry's father obviously helps because he, he gets a place on the show, but also making him a hero, bringing him back to Flash, you know, it, 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 it's very poetic. But qu question, true question, could you, could you see anybody else actually pulling off that suit and helmet? Why does he look so good in that weird Hermes helmet? I, you know, it's funny. It, it's like what we said about before about, you know, caring about the characters. There's, there are comic book outfits that look absolutely atrocious. And some of them don't even look that much greater in live action. But it's, if you care <laughs> enough about the yeah. character, if you care enough about the character, it, it works. You know, if you care enough about, like, uh, in one of the episodes, they have the OG Star Spangled Kid outfit on a mannequin. And it looks ridiculous because the outfit is ridiculous. Remember, it had like a cap. It's all just a blue outfit with white stars all over it. It's, yes. it's, it looks yes. really dumb, but that's just what it is. Um, you know, they decide that they, they, they're going to cross this line that they're going to kill. And it's a secret that Pat keeps to himself. And Eclipso is trapped in that diamond. But then, like, I, like we were just talking about, fast forward to that high school fight. Uh, uh, Courtney uses her staff to smash the diamond. And because it's broken, Eclipso comes out. First thing he does is he catches a body, kills Isaac right there in front of everybody. No, I, I can't believe they – no, I honestly, I can't believe this show went that route. Because this show has teeter-tottered over bo catching bodies. I'm yeah. serious. And you that in some way, you have to realize that this show has teeter-tottered in catching actual bodies on screen. Right. But for Isaac Bowen to just, and Bonnie Berman to just yeah. go out the way they went is, even in the very first scene of this season, you don't see Rebecca McKnighter die. No. It was an off-screen death, and when her mother sees her her daughter's dead body, it's over this panning shot of a shrub. Yeah. So for you to actually see Eclipso go up to this kid and say, Suck his soul out, right? Good. Yeah, like you literally smell good. You taste delicious. Let me suck your soul out. Like, that uh, give me get me the name of that uh, actor by the way uh, Eclipso when oh, you get a chance yeah uh, oh, oh no I will give you the Eclipso actor right now because you know me I wrote the notes down for this episode so I had to get it but so um, we have Eclipso is Nick Tarabay Nick Tarabay and he was yeah and his voice was a guest appearance in season one that uh little scene where she picks up the diamond he does like a laugh and says hello okay but nick tarabay is 
Eclipso full on with the makeup and the costuming, an entity trapped inside the black diamond that Sydney obtains. He plans to become a god by feeding on the negativity and darkness of the people on Earth. Milo Stevens, who I personally give a true, at the end of the day, credit to, plays a small embodiment of him in Young Bruce. Yes, yes. Because Bruce Gordon was the first, was the host, was the last host that he had. Bruce Gordon, some like archaeologist that found the... I actually didn't put that together. I actually yeah. didn't put that together. And thank you for for <laughs> putting the puzzle pieces because that's kind of funny that he the little name the little boy's name would be Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Gordon um is the one who actually takes the diamond out of the Devil's Island. Uh, that's one of the origin stories we find out about that diamond. But like you were just saying, you know, um he's this he's this animal like he only works on instinct and he literally smells the malice in people and it, it, it uh you know it makes his appetite go kind of crazy and i like the animalistic way they handle some of his body movements yes. some of his yeah I, he's like, like on his haunches and like his shoulders are poached to almost his ears and he's on this like gremlin like a predator he has like a predator walk he has a bit of a predator's yeah. Uh, you know, the, like the sense of smell and all that kind of stuff. And he growls at many points. My close captioning said growls or growling. Uh, he is a force of nature in this series. And with Courtney breaking the diamond, he is now loose. And because he feeds on the, um, you know, the, the negativity and malice inside of people. You ever remember that that cartoon? um of i think that it was like guys on an island and they have uh i think it might be bugs bunny oh, and like no, a no no i'm talking about the way where they have bugs bunny inside of a like a pot and they're just keep they keep just trying to add pepper and salt and carrots and you know like they they're oh trying to trick God, him into the bath and stuff like that yes like this whole because they do it in a lot of cartoon settings yes yeah from the moment that that eclipse so um breaks out of the diamond he is doing nothing but seasoning his food <laughs> you know what I'm he is doing nothing but going out of his no, way to the point where sydney where cindy says like you know i used you and so or and he's like well i used you yeah so what are you really gonna do i don't remember what i think it was after the death of isaac bowen where yeah she started realizing like oh wait a minute I kind of unleashed the devil here, and and now is in over her own head again as she, as she gets trapped in the shadow room because of him, which was another horrifying scene because now you have somebody that you're not meant to care about, you're, somebody who's a villain. Which is also kind of funny because this is the second season now where she has done something that she thought would impress the quote unquote main. Well, I can't say quote unquote because Dragon King was kind of the main baddie, but. In the first season, she tried to impress the Dragon King by doing things that she thought he would like, and she ended up failing. And what did he do? He threw her in a cell. Yeah. In this season, she did things that she thought would that the Eclipso Diamond would help her achieve. And what did he do? He locked her in a cell, quote unquote, the Shadowlands. So, like every time she tries and does something for a big baddie she ends up getting punished for it because oh you're you you're useless sorry yeah and you know one could argue that cindy has done nothing but 
do what she thinks other people want her to do as opposed to what she truly wants to do, which is why she's in such a conundrum in herself. I saw somebody put it this way the other day. If you don't fight for yourself one day, you'll be fighting with yourself every day. And I, that's stand for nothing, fall for everything. And she fell through a hell of a hole. And again, heartbreaking to watch her go. Um, and and she's presumed dead for good reason because no one knows where the hell she went. Um, for a few weeks at this point, like, yeah, there's at least a good three weeks that she's like, we don't see her. And so, in this entire time, that we saw in every episode in the first season, yeah, from this moment on, Eclipso does nothing but use his sorry power and influence to make the members of the jsa's lives a living hell and one of the things that i don't think we spoke about is he can make you see things that aren't there that's a big part of his uh arsenal as a villain oh he's very freddy krueger with it he's very that, I, I got definitely guy matter of fact i i, I should have said this i was getting definite micro nap vibes from this I don't know if you remember that concept from from Freddy Krueger, but it was the idea that because they because they were so sleep deprived yes. that because in a you second, were so sleep deprived. Yes. Yeah, in a second you you would like you would blink and you would fall asleep. You didn't even but know it. That's, but that's true. That's called lucid dreaming. Yeah. Like you can be so sleep deprived that you would be sitting there with your eyes full open, eyelids to the back of your head. But you are literally dreaming, lucid dreaming. But I'm not going to – And you've seen it because I begged you last year to watch the series. Correct me if I'm wrong. But when every time Eclipso was putting one of the JSA members in a dream, Courtney was there with the staff to have them grab onto the staff and pull them out of the dream. Except for Beth, of course. Tell me that didn't remind you of Hill House when in that last – episode when everybody was in the red room and nelly was pulling everybody out of that that was her job that was her job yeah it it, honestly and i want the fans to know that truly made me cry like i was at a funeral because my when it was i think it was the second time first it was mike and then it was pat when courtney pulled pat out of that dream Mm -hmm. with the staff the first thought that came to my head was oh my god this was like Hill House in Silence Life Steadily when Nelly was pulling all of her siblings out of when Courtney hugs when Courtney hugs Mike after getting him back from Shiv and all of them. I thought that was like a moment. She was so happy to have him back and have him safe and sound. And you don't really get a lot of interaction between those two characters. Court Courtney truly, and that's that's a testament to this fucking show from season one to season two that just makes me want to like i'm holding back tears so the fans don't think i'm soft because you know i'm very vocal about how angry i am at a lot of things but this show is family mike calls beth his not beth uh well i can't remember freaking amy smart's character's name barbara barbara when he yeah. calls Barbara mom, when he says mom, everything's okay, and they hug each other, I felt it. When when Pat was in the hospital because uh, Bowen and Sportsmaster's daughter, Artemis, beat him up, and Courtney yeah. couldn't take those steps. And I, I have been there. I have been in a hospital with a family member that has been there, and I, your body pushes you to take those steps, but you're 
your aura pulls you back. So it's like you're fighting your own anxiety to take those steps because you're so scared to ever see someone that you love in that position. But you know, the person in that position would love nothing more than to see your face. So when Courtney, for the first time, cries over Pat, I'm fucking breaking. I broke down. I never... And the only the only other instance between Courtney and Pat's relationship where I broke down was when Pat punched her father in season one. Yeah, that was a big. Where I'm like, oh my! I was like, oh my god, that's fuck you, sir. As that's his daughter. As they're beating him up, you know, I'm I'm worried. I care about that character, so I'm worried. You know, I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want him to get da- damaged, injured, killed, any of those things. I'm so I'm very much in the same shoes as as the good people on this show. That's the writing. That's the testament to the writing and the testament to Luke Wilson that you could make us care about someone so innocent as Pat Dugan. Like in that first season, he's like, "Hey, who wants pancakes? Who yeah. wants to go to the creek? Who wants to do this and this?" That? When like in season one, he calls Courtney and and Barbara his girls. How's my girls doing? Yeah. Knowing that this is really his truly first time associating and bonding and really knowing Courtney. Like, oh, you know, it's a difference between I'm dating your mother and now we are finding a place together. Even getting As that flashback. Even in that flashback, when we see that he's on the side of no kill, he does come off as a seemingly one of the more more seemingly innocent characters in this show. But we got to talk about somebody who doesn't feel all too innocent. The person that I would say succumbs the most succumbs the most to the pressure that is put on her by Eclipso. But it's also because she was battling this before this diamond was even broken we got to talk about yolanda her catholic guilt and her regret over uh killing brainwave jr june brainwave Brainwave. Brainwave junior dies with the rocks right rocks fall on him or something yeah he, he sacrificed himself by fighting his father and the cave came in on him and that was the first time and it's not just it's not comic book shows because comic book shows have done that before it was this specific show that made me drop my jaw and say, yo, did they just kill off Henry Jr.? Like, did they just do that? And and yeah. I think that, I think that episode was named after him, which is funny, too, because you're like, you're thinking it's probably going to be it like a brain. It was called Brainwave Jr. Yeah, yeah a big oh, moment or whatever. But tell me, talk to it me about so Yolanda. Crazy. Talk to me about how you feel about that arc. Talk, talk, talk to me about her okay. guilt and all that. All right. So I want the fans to know that the very last comic book show and actually the very last TV show that me and you ever watched together before you moved to the great Garden State or Sunshine, Sunshine State, Garden State, New Jersey, the Sunshine, the Sunshine State was Daredevil Season 3 and a lot a lot of Daredevil season three was our main character suffering Catholic guilt. So for us to get this Yolanda Watson of it all, of her actually being able to go to a, a confession booth and twice, I think it was twice, and not being able to talk about what she did, but just know she felt guilty of it. Her telling Courtney that no matter what, God's going to see me as a murderer 
good or, you know, whether my reasons are good or bad, I still have murder on my sins. Like, and when you, when two 40 year olds are having this conversation and they both been shot at and damn near, you know, targeted to be killed, it's way different than when a 16 year old has this conversation with another 16, not just a 16 year old, George, but we have to go by the timeline. So two years ago, let's go two years ago. Let's say 2019, Yolanda Watson goes through the problem that she goes through with the, everybody in the school seeing her pictures. Mm-hmm. A, not a year later, a few months later, because let's say that, that at that point, student body would be maybe February, March. By mm-hmm. September of the same year or even December of the same year, Courtney Whitmore is now moving to Blue Valley, Nebraska, and meeting Yolanda Watson. So this Montez, <laughs> I was I was trying to figure out what it was because I knew it wasn't Watson. Oh, because I think her last uh, who's Montez her last Montez her last oh, name is Monreal. Monreal, yes, it's I keep saying okay. I don't know who Yolanda Watson is, but maybe because <laughs> I have Spider Man on the brain. Yolanda, I think Watson. I have Spider Man on the brain. Yeah, Yvette Monreal is the name of the actress who plays. Um... Let, let's get let's get Spider Man off the brain. So, Eve, so Yolanda, good old Yolanda Wildcat is what I'm going to call her for now on because mm-hmm. I don't know why Watson is in my fucking head for some reason. Not even a few, not even a, a full year later, after the whole pictures reveal and all that stuff, she meets Courtney Whitmore. This girl wants to be alone. This girl just wants to just live her life in solitude and quietness and deal with the fact that her family hates her, except for her little brother, who defends her at every chance he gets. Right. This girl meets Courtney Whitmore, who within a few days of Courtney moving to Blue Valley, figures out, oh, my God, I'm the next Star Spangled Kid. Yeah. So she doesn't even get to, she doesn't even get to find her identity before some strange white blonde girl gives her uh, her identity. Exactly. <laughs> and tells and, and she kind of just fills those cat. Yeah, she just fills those shoes because I mean what what's the alternative? You know, living a life of shame and stuff like that and she thinks that this is all going to be one big heroic you know, uh, uh, venture and that everything bad about her past is put behind her, but instead it's actually put in front of her because Henry is the son of the villain of the season for the most part, one of the villains of the season, just bringing it all back around. And she ends up becoming the cause of, of that man's death. And, um, while everybody else is, you know, has cleaned their hands off of everything that's happened, um, in season one, she can't. She can't stop having headaches. She can't stop thinking about the the blood on her hands. She can't stop feeling a um, tremendous amount of shame for what she's done. And even though what she did helped save Blue Valley in many ways, she doesn't feel that way. She's not grateful for doing it. And um, it, it ends up boiling over to the point that she ends up giving up the Wildcat mantle in a very heartbreaking scene because you're so used to this character um coming through on her own and kind of kicking ass and she has a bit of a a swagger to her she has a bit of an attitude to her and all of a sudden boom you know there's an issue and there's a problem that i pushed my head i pushed my headphone back in my ear and it has the end end call sorry you you said no i'm just saying that yolanda in general watching her yolanda 
Montez. <laughs> Not Watson. Yolanda Montez. Uh, I was just saying that it was heartbreaking to see her, you know, relinquish the Wildcat persona because she seems like such a hard ass after everything that happened to her. The character for herself is portrayed as a hard ass. But we see that this has all just been a kind of a coping mechanism and she's falling under the weight of her own hard acidness. You know, she's falling under the weight of her trying to push through all the things that have happened to her instead of her letting her feel them. And it gets to the point of culmination where she gives up her whole Wildcat persona and says she never acts to be Wildcat. It's really a heartbreaking moment where... Where, where, where not only does she give it up, but when she gives up, Courtney tries to pull her back into the the whole thing of being Wildcat. And Courtney's like, oh, guess what? The original Wildcat, he actually killed too. So you don't worry, have to worry about killing Brainwave Senior. Right. Because the person that held the mantle before you was also a killer. And Yolanda's like, doesn't make yeah, it doesn't make it feel. easier yet. I don't. I don't feel any better about like, this. No matter what, I'm wearing the mantle of it. Whether I'm the killer or the previous owner is a killer, the Wildcat mantle took a life that they did not have the mor- moral standpoint to take. And even worse, she thinks that because she's done this before, she would have to be the one to kill next whenever the jsa decides that somebody needs to go they're going to look at her because none of them have ever had to do it so she would not only have the guilt of killing brainwave senior but seemingly any other bad guy they deem unworthy of life they'll just send the wildcat after them and and it hurts the worst because rick was like hey listen yolanda i know how you feel and she's like do you then why is grundy still alive right if Grundy's yeah. still alive, then how do you know how? And that, that kind of, that was one of those moments where you understand hurt people hurt people. Yeah. But it's like, hey, Yolanda, you don't, I, I, I understand your, your side, but you don't have the right to judge the guy that couldn't kill the, the being that killed his family. When you killed the father of the son that you seemingly thought leaked your naked pictures. And as much as revenge porn is an illegal crime, this dude couldn't kill the guy that killed his parents. Yeah, no, I think it becomes more of a I think it becomes more of a situation whenever anyone tries to tell you what to do, you kind of in the back of your mind, you assess their advice by whether or not you think they have taken it before. Right. You know, if somebody's if somebody's sitting there, if somebody's sitting there and they're literally injecting heroin into their veins and they go, hey, Dan, you know, you probably shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. It's bad for you. You're like, yeah, yeah. okay." (laughs) you understand? you're not going to you know, you're not going to take it. It's the same thing, because I literally have a disgusting habit of smoking cigarettes. And I tell people that I see smoking cigarettes. You know, you really shouldn't smoke cigarettes. It's like terrible for you. Oh, but you're literally pulling out a cigarette right now. Yeah, but I don't care about me. So you shouldn't. I get. I get. Yeah. So it's that. like, oh, so you you think I should kill? You think killing is right? So why didn't you kill? Because killing is wrong. Because it's not easy. Because it's it. You're snuffing out a life that you can never take back. Well, all those things I did. How am I supposed to feel good about myself doing so if you couldn't even be bothered to do it? 
it's not that good. It's not that easy if you couldn't. So if you know it's hard, understand what I'm going through right now. And she makes a choice on her own, and she decides to walk away from the mantle. But like I said again, but Shiv brings I her back I into the fold. I understand why she's guilty about it. Now I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, the, the fact that I I feel why she's guilty about it is because she didn't kill Brainwave in a moment of self-preservation. There's a difference, and even in this country, we have seen self-defense again and it has to be against immediate threats of danger on your own life you know someone swinging a a bag of potatoes isn't going to kill you but if someone has a gun to you and you have a gun to them and you shoot first if they i mean she says she watched them die you know that like she knows how how deep she slit brainwave she slit brainwave's throat out of anger she yeah. didn't slit Brainwave's throat because he was literally about to kill her. She he had her family over a pit of lava. She only killed Brainwave Senior because she was angry. But she so also didn't walk into right his now, house at a breakfast table and kill him. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it was it was original ISA members versus new JSA members. You know, and, and she was, was mad at him because she used her mind control to make him see Henry Jr., which got him upset, which got her upset about the whole thing. That's but, why she slit yes, that's why she slit his throat because it was Henry Jr. saying all the things she in her head wanted to hear from that particular right. person exactly so and he was being was a, a he was being a jerk i don't know if he, he yeah. deserved it but it is what it is and i love that breck or you know courtney throughout the series would go on to you know, any chance she got would express how much she missed yolanda as a, a team member as a friend as all those things i thought it was important to i'm gonna say it straight up and if if you guys have not seen even season one of starville you really should because breck basinger Courtney Whitmore wears her heart on her sleeve since the first episode. This girl wore her heart on her sleeve. So for her to say not only the JSA, but she wasn't the same without Yolanda, it 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 was it hurt. It hurt because especially coming off after re- after watching this season. I read, I reread Stars and Stripes for us to cover Stars and Stripes. So this is a very standoffish, very like, you know, quirk, yeah, quirky, but I'm trying to find the right word, angsty. This okay. is an angsty character that we were given in Stars and Stripes. So, so to see, to come off of reading Courtney Whitmore and seeing her tell her best friend, I need you, it really drove home that character progression yeah it did and you we're dealing with characters that we thought we might know all about and they're finding new layers and new wrinkles to add to them which makes this incredibly rewarding because you're seeing real people grow and make mistakes and make judgment calls you know whether or not yolanda is doing is right it doesn't really matter it what matters is that yolanda thinks that it's right and she's trying to take control over her life again um and you know she ends up coming back into the fold but you want to talk about trying to take control of their life we got to talk about rick gotta talk about iron man yeah, you know can we, can we can we stop for a second just i just sure. i just want to say and i want the fans to know how much you truly are my best friend for this moment 
because <laughs> why, literally, why? I no, I no, I swear to God, no, George, this isn't even a podcast thing. This is a me and you talking <laughs> to ourselves thing. Mm-hmm. When you brought, when you were bringing up the the latter half of the Yolanda stuff, I swear to God, once you said a character taking control of his life, instantly my brain said, "Oh, we're gonna perfectly segue into Rick because yes. we're gonna talk about a character." And then you mentioned him, <laughs> and I, 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 I'm, I am holding back tears. I have never been able to hold back in my life because I swear to God, before you brought up Rick for the fans to see in my head, I'm like, yes, oh, there, yeah, I'm gonna natural progression. I, not not <laughs> at you. I said me. I was like, yo, I'm going to perfectly segue into Rick, and then you immediately went into Rick, and I'm like fuck this guy is my fucking brother like this is amazing i think so, i'm gonna yes, buy a segue for, <laughs> for we, are going to, we are going to perfectly segue into rick's arc and not just rick's arc we're gonna we're gonna share the arc between rick and solomon grundy because i yeah. think it's only fair that they both take the same time of explaining them they have a miniature a miniature mystery at the beginning of this series because Rick is seen not bothering to go to school and instead he keeps I going didn't to see it as a mystery. I kind of called that. I'm not going to lie. I, 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 knew I, I think for the most part it is known, but they play it up the first couple episodes like what could he possibly be doing? But I'm like, there's only one thing oh, he, he can kept, be doing. He kept him alive. He didn't kill – once he didn't kill Solomon Grundy, it's like I knew. I, I don't know why, but – in that first instance of him going to the woods and dropping off a bag of food and leaving, my brain said, Oh, he's feeling, he's feeding Grundy. Right. Okay. But like, he's not telling the rest of the people. And we haven't seen Grundy up until the point of the fact when he gets his own focus episode, Rick Tider does. And we get to see how Eclipso gets into his mind. Cause Eclipso is messing around with the idea that. So sad, um, no saddest episode of this. Scene. <laughs> that was the saddest closing close not full episode but closing episode of this season was when uh it it was i think it was chapter seven or chapter six but the dot the the synopsis was rick spends all of his focus trying to protect solomon from uh bear hunters yeah (laughs) because apparently bear bear hunting a hunter society is real you know, uh, our man is is basically a sledgehammer. You know, he he turns over that hourglass, and for one hour, he has superhuman strength and durability. And you know, um, Rick himself had a lot of anger issues. Uh, we saw that throughout the series. And when he is dealing with Grundy, in many ways, he's dealing with himself. The way he treats Grundy is a way that I think he wished somebody would have treated him early on in life, so that he wouldn't have as much anger issues as he does now. No, you're one hundred percent right on that because. He- Solomon Grundy, either at whether you look at it as comic fans or you look at it in the Earth Star Girl, I'm just gonna call it Earth Star Girl because I don't remember Crisis because I know they're naming all the Earths. Earth right, Star right. Girl. Mm-hmm. When you look at Solomon Grundy, he is looked at by everybody as a monster. Even and even in that episode where Rick calls Pat through confidence and tells him, "Yo." Solomon Grundy is in trouble. Please help me. Pat and Courtney immediately go there antagonistically like, oh, Solomon Grundy's here? Well, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Let's go find out. When Rick kept them alive, 
it's basically the way that he wished someone kept his spirit and hopefulness alive. And you see a lot where his teacher, that she didn't even believe in him, sees the way he acts in summer school in his grades. Let me go visit his farm. And then comes his uncle, who literally tells this guy, he tells his own nephew, his seven, let's look at his 17, 18 year old. Does it matter? I'm an uncle, you're an uncle. We know what it is. Could you imagine telling your nephew, Oh, you'll get into jail before you'll get into college. Yeah, he has. He harbors some kind of weird uh, anger towards that kid, and um, you know, no matter what Rick does, if that's if that's the silver lining, he always has to come home to. You can understand why he would have so much um, uh, residual anger, and if someone and that's why I. No, I'm saying you have you have both sides, both sides of it. You can have positive reinforcement with loved ones. You can also have negative reinforcement. And I think he is using Grundy as an experiment to see whether or not positive reinforcement can negate years of negative reinforcement and can negate public opinion because everyone thinks that Grundy's a monster. So when push comes to shove and Grundy is believed to be blamed for the death of a six year old girl, I want to say, um, Rick decides that he needs to figure out whether or not this is true um we'll figure out whether or not grundy's done anything and then when he sees the the dead little girl a six-year-old girl again very dark for star girl there's just a a six-year-old's body in in the ocean there's a six-year-old's body in the ocean and um very dark for cw at that point honestly like like she, it wasn't six; it was ten. I think the the hunters said that a ten year old ten year old girl went missing. Yeah, yeah, I think it was like a ten year old girl, and, and honestly, she looked like a young Dakota Fanning from like two thousand two. Right, so like very dark for Star Girl. And as soon as Rick sees this body, he yells at Grundy. Grundy runs away, and he runs after him. Um, in route is star girl and pat who are trying to talk to rick because they realize that eclipso's out and he's going to be messing around with everyone like he just messed around with yolanda and um apparently rick catches up to grundy starts throwing him the hands and he has so much anger and emotion behind every punch because he is livid at the fact that he allowed this monster who should have always been before even that beating before even that beating tell me tell me about how how it felt when when you know Rick was trying to do right by Grundy and in the woods, he's just screaming to the sky. I'm tired of this. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. It was very, it was very relatable. Like I said, the character's anger and, and just overall being lost. I mean, we've all been there, you know, we've all are wondering what is this all for the good, the bad, the indifferent, you know, the luck that we have and the luck that we don't, what does it all mean? And he found solace in befriending Grundy and to, for Grundy to seemingly go back to his ways was a betrayal that was just the straw that breaks the camel's back to Rick. And if Grundy is going to always be who he is, then I guess Rick is always going to be who he is, was just a violent, good for nothing, you know, nobody. And so he takes all that anger. They shared shared apples. And And it was the moment where, you know, Rick brings him the bag of apples and he's trying to talk to Grundy and he says, oh, you're just a dumb monster. You don't even understand me anyways. And Grundy hands him over an apple and he looks and God damn, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to gush again and I don't care. This show 
does a lot of perfect fundamentals in filmmaking. And I think what this show truly survives the best on is visual direction. And I don't say that about a lot of shows, but this show is one of those few shows I can look at where I'm like, the script can say nothing, but the actors say everything. So for Grundy, a CGI character to hand Rick an apple and Rick take the apple and smile and just like scoff in disbelief, but believe like the disbelief of damn, I can't believe he spoke, but the belief of I always knew there was something in him and they just sit on that log and they share an apple. It's, 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 it's beautiful, dude. Like, like, I don't know how else to say that this is one of my favorite shows I've ever fucking seen. But then the turn of that, the turn of that moment is the betrayal. The idea that Grundy can't be changed, kills this little girl. Right. And so Rick lays some hands on Grundy, taking out all the anger that he can. And it is revealed that no, all of this was Eclipso. Little girl was Eclipso. Grundy was Eclipso. And actually Eclipso went to such great lengths that he made Rick think his uncle was Grundy and Rick's beating of Grundy is actually that, a beating of his no, uncle. That was not CW stuff. That was not CW stuff. That's not wholesome daytime, daytime, but primetime comic book stuff. That kind of stuff you see in Breaking Bad. That's kind of stuff you see in like an HBO Showtime primetime yeah. stuff because the, when you get, when you have uh luke wilson and breck basing will just show up and say stop rick that's not grundy the second they said the second luke wilson said that's not grundy i'm like oh no who the hell did he just beat up because when cindy in a previous episode goes to artemis's football tryouts she uses the diamond to make artemis see swat teams yeah so Artemis is beating up a poor, you know, high school footballer. Think, and she's thinking she's beating up a SWAT team member coming to take her parents away from her football tryouts. Right. So, so you get that already, where it's like, oh, we're in the world where who you think you're fighting isn't who you're fighting. Right. And then, it's and then the Thank God, and I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. This was the f- uh, this was one of the first times where I actually said thank God they didn't kill off a character because before they showed that his uncle survived, my whole thought was, damn, they really foreshadowed Rick catching a body by Yolanda saying <laughs> you've never caught a body. <laughs> no, you know, not to give too many spoilers, but it kind of reminded me of when Cyborg got on his dad in Doom Patrol, and I was like, oh, he's dead. There's no way, <laughs> like with yeah. that that oh, amount yeah. of power. He should be dead, but I'm glad that they didn't kill him outright. Ultimately, I think that that was a good, um, a good choice there. And Pat eventually, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> gets him to drop the charges, etc. But Rick spent some time in jail um, for it. Oh, yeah, Kim, I, I'm just gonna say because there's only been maybe no, not maybe there has literally only been two moments in Star Girl where I literally said, "Oh my God, I don't want to mess with Pat." And the second moment was when he locked the door and started closing the, the blinds. I'm yeah. like, yo, I'm like, yo, what is Pat about to do right now? 
Like, I'm getting a little nervous for the guy who can't move. Yeah. Pat, you're yeah. a psychic. You're like, they don't even show what happens, psych. but he drops the charges. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. <laughs> and Rick ends up joining the fight, you know, later on. And we get a return of Grundy. We'll get to the last act. But first, we have to get to one of the last members of this team. Somebody that, you know, people were talking about maybe shouldn't be on the team maybe doesn't deserve it maybe doesn't really didn't have the mantle passed down to her wasn't chosen and all of those opinions are espoused in this show by the villain eclipso confronts beth chapel with everything that seemingly reddit has been saying for the longest time while she's also dealing with a yeah no while she's also dealing with what a divorce her parents are getting divorced so I just, I just want to say, and I know you have have heard me, and and all our friends in in the group chat have heard me, but Beth Chapel truly gets the short staff every time, and it's it's getting to the point where I am frustrated. I'm 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 getting really frustrated that this girl does not her costume alone. I love her. I love Angelica Washington as an actress. I love Beth Chapel in this show as a character. But can they do something about this poor girl's costume? <laughs> yeah, not great. Like her, like the helmet looks almost like how 1920s footballers were. You ever seen the movie Leatherheads with fucking yeah. George Clooney? It's the same. It's the same way. Like no, it totally is weird. Like, and I don't like it because I feel like the the character that we were given in these two seasons is the heart of the show. I'm going to say it right now, Beth Chapel is the heart of the show. She's There's definitely no the conscience. Like Beth Chapel. Yes. 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 Yeah. It, it, it goes to show when Courtney comes back from the Shadowlands and Beth is like, oh my God, she's back. And she goes to her house and she looks at uh, Shiv. She looks at Cindy, Cindy. And she is saying everything that Courtney is already thinking. And Courtney's like, yes, I know she's here. Yes, I know. She helped me. Yes, I know. I don't trust her, too. Right, right, right. Like, it, it shows that Beth is 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 the North Star of the JSA. And but she, she had to moments, reclaim that. She had to claim that mantle, though. She had never really out and out, yeah. you know, uh, 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 with, with pride, you know, espoused those things. And on top of that, when it comes so did reach out to her, he came at her with a bunch of racist comments as well, talking about her people and whether or not she should be athletic and all well, those well, other kind of things. No, that was hard to watch. That was hard to watch because all right, at first he says you people. And in my head, I really didn't go to racism. I swear to God, because it's like, Eclipso can't be racist because he's not a race. He's a literal demon. There is no ethnicity, no race, no background for him to be. So when he said, you people, my first idea was humans. And then he's like, I guess all stereotypes about you people aren't the same. I'm like, oh, sir, (laughs) sir, what are you saying? And then he's like, oh, look at you, Dr. Midnight wrong race wrong color wrong gender i'm like yeah. whoa sir can you not like yeah with the co- with the confidence that people have when they say these shit behind people's backs when they when they say them where they feel safe oh, no, you i'm know? glad that cw approached this kind of stuff because listen i don't care 
you can be our followers and you can be our listeners. But if this, if you, if that's your mindset, I'm sorry, but every single member of the major issues podcast is not a yeah <laughs> straight up Caucasian European. We are a melting pot. So. Yeah, we are. We are a melting pot, and so is America. So, you know, Beth standing up and proclaiming that she is a proud black woman and that she is Doctor Midnight was yeah, was was incredible but eventually you know courtney gets trapped in the shadow realm and she ends up finding out then also this was something that um uh because throughout the whole series beth is trying to get her goggles to start working they stopped working in the last season i believe someone smashed them and um so in this oh, season, it was um i think it was if i'm I, I could be wrong i could be and i hope a fan tells me i'm wrong but i think the goggles just like died like gambler did something to him where where she like they got uh d- um what's the word hacked. I'm looking for they just yeah, yeah hacked. hacked and when it got hacked because it wasn't the actual Charles McNider in the goggles like his consciousness was in the goggles no it was an AI it was an AI yeah right. it was an AI that had all of the personality and would be able to predict what Charles McNider would say. So the AI got hacked and shut down, and that was like a big crux of the last episode that Beth ended up being neutered. Yeah, and it, it hurt, and that was one of my big issues. Where it's like, damn, this poor girl, all she has is being the man in the chair or the woman in the chair at this point, and they turn her goggles off. So yeah, she's just trying to get her goggles back on for the rest of season two. And, uh, you know, all past end up crossing, she eventually ends up meeting the original Charles McNider because he ends up getting brought back from the Shadow Realm by uh, Stargirl. And, um, um, one of the, you know, one of the most biggest payoffs, like, I, there's a lot of big payoffs in this show, but for me, the biggest, the, and I know what your biggest payoff is, I know it, I can predict it, but my biggest payoff of this show was. Beth standing across from Charles McKnighter in his Dr. Midnight suit and her getting so happy and giddy. And she's like, you probably want these goggles back. I mean, oh, it's a show. And it's her being able to self-reflect and realizing I wasn't asked to be this. I wasn't chosen by some entity. I stole these glasses because I wanted to be friends with this little, with this girl in my class. Yeah. But for Charles McNider to say, no, they're yours now. You keep it. And he, he, he pulls out his own and he says, I have my own anyways. Yeah. And she's like, (laughs) I'm trying not to cry. I swear to God, but it was just, it's fucking beautiful. It is. That was my biggest payoff. That's my biggest payoff of this entire series was Beth standing across Dr. McNider and him saying, no, those glasses are yours. You're... When he put her in the database as the new Dr. Midnight, she asked me, can you add me to the database? She's like, yeah, sure. Here you go. New Dr. Midnight, Beth Chapel. Uh, all all classified information is now declassified for you. I fucking cr- I yeah. And, was, and then <laughs> when Charles McNider decides that he's gonna leave, and he's like, you know, she's like, well, what if the world's gonna need 
uh, Doctor Midnight. And he's like, well, we already got one. Like you know, it's fucking, it's, it's, it's so, it's. So I'm glad she got the goggles back. I'm glad her parents got to see her as a superhero. I'm glad that they kind of went back on their divorce a little bit and they did a bit of an Easter egg to Beth Chapel in the comics by stating that she might get a black and yellow suit, which I thought was pretty And, and, pretty and cool. nanotech. Can't and nanotech. Nanotech because her, her black and yellow suit was nanotech. That was the because I remember seeing Beth Chapel in the first season and I had to look up this this character to see if if she was made her own character for the show itself or if she was a real character. And yeah. Beth Chapel is the second Doctor Midnight in the black and yellow nanotech suit. Yep, and with the goggles and every like she has the goggles, afro, black and yellow suit, and it's beautiful. And I hope, I truly hope, season three does that. I, I'm begging, I'm begging anybody to listen to me and make it happen that season three goes black and yellow suit. Fingers crossed. We're getting we're getting close to the uh, we're getting close to the end of this. Uh, we're about to tackle uh, Courtney, but I would be remiss if we didn't mention both Jenny, uh, Jenny and um, Jenny, Mike, and the Thunderbolt story. So let's get through those two uh, pretty quickly, and then we can finish up. No, with yeah, yeah. So, so really, the Thunderbolt story is not really that that hard to tackle. So, Thunderbolt is a purple like genie, almost a monkey's paw. That right. is in a pen that is just too cool. And that's the writing whenever he's released. It's so cool, right? Too cool. I, it was so cool. That was so too cool. cool is something else. That was so a tag cool. team. Scotty so, Tohadi, Grandmaster Sexy. Th- thank you for remembering that. So Mike, I don't know. I don't know why he decided to pick up a pink pen mm. in a sea of black and blue pens, but he picks up a nice little pink pen and uses it. And out of nowhere, Jim Gaffigan, the man Jim Gaffigan, comes out to be Thunderbolt, the purple, pinkish, magenta genie. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why Mike ended up getting uh, thrusted with the powers of that so cool genie is because he felt alone. Right. He felt useless. He felt like a nobody. Like, you know, like he, even Barbara herself was able to have the job where almost every bad guy works for right. because in season one, icicle and gambler worked for the company that she worked for. And now shade is coming in in season two and knows automatically where she works. So Mike felt very useless and even being a, uh, a pawn in the ISA or the injustice unlimited yeah. being a pawn and not really being recruited as a member, but bait made him feel, you know, he, he's not really useless. He's useless. He's not really useful. He's worthless. Right. And he gets himself a nice little genie, good old genie pen. Right. And from there, uh, he doesn't understand how to use the powers. It just becomes too much trouble, right? It's not not even worth it. It's not Well, seemingly in that moment, it's not worth it because no matter what they wish for, the genie takes it literally. Unless you go out of your way to make sure that you say the exact words that you need to, he's just going to take whatever, you know, oh, you know, I'm so hungry, I can eat a horse or here's 10 horses kind of situation. Um, I want everything to stop. Here's stop signs falling from the sky. 
Right. And it becomes problematic to the point that even when he tries to use it to be to be to do something heroic, which is stop the shade because they believe that the shade was the one behind all of this. Um, you know, it doesn't work exactly as it should. And the genie actually goes back into the pen. And, um, you know, Mike, in a fit of anger, says, you know, he wished that the pen went to somebody or the genie went to somebody that a better hands, in more better deserving hands. hands. And so it eventually ends up going to a kid named Joaquin, who becomes fast friends with Mike at the end of the, at the end of the of the season. But also, Mike um, has his eyes set on a different role. He has his eyes set on Stripesy, and eventually he gets to pilot that at the end of it. So I do hope that that's in his future. I, I would really like to see those oh, two. No, it's one of the most it's one of the most coolest moments, especially since Zeke when he finds out that. Pat is this stripe armor superhero. Zeke's like, oh, you need flamethrowers and chainsaws. And by the end of the season, you get some nice flamethrowers and chainsaws. Yeah, I like how Zeke is just non- nonplussed about all that stuff. Oh, Ze- Zeke is one of the greatest char- side characters that mean nothing to this series in this season. The this, this shot of him just eating lo mein and peeking duck while saying, yeah, you got to touch this and you got to move that. It's just, so it's it's Jakeem, and Jakeem was created by Grant Morrison. Jakeem was created by Grant, Mor- Grant Morrison. Used That's to very serve. interesting. He first appeared in The Flash. So, no um, way. Yeah. So these characters all have um, such rich history. Um, I'm glad They're they canon. came in. They're straight up canon. But Alan Scott has a lot of rich history. He left some behind. He left his daughter behind on this earth. Uh, Jenny, uh, codenamed oh, Jade. Was, I can't remember who he was killed by. That's what I'm trying to remember from this, from that opening of the first pilot episode. Was who I don't remember him in that. He was in that pilot by. episode. All you got to see was him shoot the. You saw green, but I don't remember how he died because in that first episode you didn't see Flash. You saw Starman, uh, Doctor Midnight, Wildcat, and Green Lantern. Hmm. Because Doctor Midnight got pulled into the Shadowland. Uh, Starman died getting pierced during. Well, not I guess we'll talk about that. But Starman died getting pierced in the car accident with Stripesy when Solomon Grundy attacked the car. And uh, Green Lantern, Alan Scott. I really can't truly remember. Who killed him? I think it was Icicle that might have killed him. Yeah, I don't remember I him being in that fight, but I, I believe you. And he he's in the group photo, you know, for the JSA. Um, but I don't recognize him after that. Like seeing him there makes me not like I don't think I've seen him elsewhere because <laughs> I would feel like I would have remembered. No, that's that. what I'm trying to say. I think it was like, like a, all you see was the green, like a fist or something, right? Turn. Yeah, and you're like, oh my god, that's Green Lantern. Next thing you know, it's just a guy in a Comic-Con suit dead on the floor. Yeah. Um, but his daughter's but in town. But he moves behind his legacy, yes. His daughter, his ring, his lantern itself. But she ends up being able to encompass the entire powers of the lantern within herself and use that to charge the ring, which I thought was pretty cool. Um Great addition, but she was lightly used because I think she's probably going to be end up being being more used in the next season. But uh, she is able to use her powers on several occasions to help the team. So I well, felt like you're right on that because the big baddie, like the way the way the sea the season end with the Red Skull, well, 
white skull looking guy. Mr. Bones. Like Mr. Bones. That's right. Mr. Bones. Cause I had no idea who he was until I looked him up. But you know, when you get that Mr. Bones, Mr. Essex reveal, you know, like that they're just, and that's, what's beautiful about star girl is that it sets up these baddies. That's going to be a storyline for the next season, but it does it in such an interesting way where you're like, okay, please give me the next season tomorrow. Can I, can I get it now? Like, can you guys hurry up? So yeah. you get that reveal where for the whole, for the whole season of her arc, she's looking for her brother, her and her brother were, were, were together. And then her parents died and they were separated through foster care. Mm-hmm. So she's just trying to find her brother. And then some lady is like, Oh yeah. Jenny Scott was looking for her brother. Then she might be on this way. And then you get the Mr. Bones reveal. So she has, she has a nice little arc that I know is going to be concluded and at least halfway through season three. Yeah. And I, 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 but like I said, it's not like she just existed in season three. They planted this seed now so that when it comes to fruition later, it's, it's fruitful. That's what this show does. It does it in, in great, great ways. Um, but we, let's talk about the star of the show, the literal star of the show, Star Girl Brick ba- Bassinger, Basinger. Um, Basinger, Courtney, I guess. I read it. Basinger, yeah. Courtney oh, Woodmore, man, the bright eyed and bushy tailed leader of the, the new JSA, the stepdaughter of Pat Dugan, um, uh, you know, um, uh, who's trying to lead her friends in the right direction as they get corrupted by this uh, malicious, evil, benevolent force. So, um, yeah, I really liked her arc in this, which is basically her. She her she gets her faith tested. Her biggest, like, as the world is falling around everybody else, she's able to maintain sanity because she believes that she's what she a what she's doing is right, and b that Pat's on her side. And her big crux that she needs to that she needs to go through is she finds out that Pat lied to her about how they got rid of Eclipse with killing the host initially. And, this, and that's the whole thing about this season. Is that it's a real identity crisis for her because the way the, the, the episodes kick off, she has no true purpose outside of the costume and the cosmic staff, Cosmo. And, and it shows when she's failing school. And that's why this season is called Stargirl Summer School. She has to go to summer school because she neglected her own education to put trying to save a community of 150 right in front of everything and, and 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 even in the first episode where the isa is finished but there's still one or two members running around you know the gamblers on the run and she's trying to find them and court uh yolanda and rick and beth are like you know we gotta go home it's late it's cold like yeah. we got school in the morning like we have to go and it really speaks to that Iron Man monologue in uh, Homecoming, where it's like, if you're nothing without that suit, then you don't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of this was, was Courtney finding her own identity because she felt like, who am I truly if I can't be Stargirl 24-7? And she doesn't suit up every episode. No, not at all. You know, and at one point, even the staff kind of gets taken away from her Cosmo. Uh, you know, loses his his luster and his and his and his shine and his magic. Oh yeah, um, when they break when they break the diamond, he like he 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 goes into the Odin sleep. 
Yeah, and she has a very somber moment where she talks to him and tells him, like, you know, not for nothing, but you were always there for me, and I consider you a friend, and I'm sorry that you're just hearing that now. And that was a level of emotional honesty, even from someone playing a child, that really moved me because so often, we, we like I said, we, we just march through laser-focused on what we are trying to do that we don't realize the people that are helping us along the way or, you know, the resources that we do have that we're lucky to have on occasion until they're gone. And then all we do is kick and scream about how they're gone, even though we never cared to, we never cared to appreciate them when they were around. And Cosmo was definitely that for Courtney. Um, and it no, was cool what, to have her express that. that? people where it's like you're my best friend you're the person i i look to you're the person i need when i have nobody else but you don't vocalize that to them or, sometimes or people think that they them. already know that's a big that's a big one a lot of people will be like I'm oh, well, you, person, should, you should know. i'm the person of validation like right. i i was thinking about it today actually it's funny i was thinking about it at work where i'm like what is the harm of telling a person Hey, I like your shoes. Hey, you got a cool outfit. Hey, your haircut looks awesome. Bro, you're my brother. You're my best friend. And I love you with all my heart. And I'll always, I'll tell you every day. Because what is the harm of literally making a person for one second feel better that they made the right choice in outfit? That, And you don't know. They could have shaved their beard or cut their hair in a way that they hate it. And they look in the mirror and they're like, this just doesn't fit me. But that one person tells them, hey, nice haircut. Really? You think, what's the harm? What's the harm of validating a person? And I know right. I'm going on a tangent. But no, 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 no. I, I, know. Think, I, think, I think that it's, it's necessary. Um, don't ever think that people know what you, you're thinking in your head. You know, constant, you know, it, some things are better left unsaid, but most things are better left said. Just say them. And um, she has a lot of those moments here. Like I said, when she realizes that Pat's injured, all of a sudden she realizes that he can get injured. You know, uh, when your parents are seemingly indestructible when you know them. They're the toughest, most knowledgeable people that you know. And all of a I sudden. I actually never really thought about that in that way. That Because the, the way I looked at that scene was like, you know, this it, he may be a sidekick, but he was a hero at the end of the day. His face was literally projected into newspapers like. He's on the front page of a newspaper stopping a bad guy. I always looked at it as like she looked at him as even though he was a sidekick, he was still a superhero. But I do like that more that you look at your parents inherently as superheroes. Like my mom can never get a cold. Right. My dad can never break his arm. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, remember, uh, Barbara had to give her a speech, tell her to go kick that little girl's ass because uh, she was like, um, what am I supposed to do? Like, he's, Pat's gone, there's no stripe. Uh, how am I supposed to handle this? How am I supposed to go save Mike? And if it wasn't for Barbara kind of giving her that pep talk, I don't know if we would have. she would have gotten out there and handled that business. But she's constantly... Which is another part of this show, honestly, because Barbara, and, you know, as much as Amy Smart's character doesn't seem like she belongs in this world, she does her best to try and share coffee with everybody. She tries to be as a mom. They should have got a Terry Coon. Yeah, but then they would have to give her that Midwestern accent, you know. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I like the family dynamic in general. I think they do a, a great job with that. And, um, you know, Courtney is constantly trying to battle. She's the very last person to sort of kind of succumb to this evil. And it's literally when evil incarnate faces off against her and has somebody that she cares about in pain and demands that he, that she confess how she truly feels about him. And in a very tearful way, you, with everything that she has in her soul, she says, I hate you. You know, I, I hate oh, you. It's it come to the point where she's ruined her friendships. She's ruined the lives of the people that she loves, her parents. She's ruined the lives of people that she's just finding out about, like Charles McKnighter and The Shade. Um, you know, uh, everything that's happened has been because of this entity, and she does harbor hate for him. And there was something that he, he needed her to admit because he could smell it on her, but she had to admit it. And when she does, he's able to use her body as a host. to the dark side. It yeah. was like when Palpatine went to Luke and he's like, use your anger and strike me down and all of that stuff. And it's, yeah. it's beautiful because in that moment, you get all these flashbacks, you get these moments and you're like, damn, Courtney really needed the JSA more than the JSA needed Courtney to find that staff. Like Courtney needed it. That's what hurts the most. It wasn't oh, I am a superhero. I've always been a superhero. Let me find these people. This is, I'm going to a town, a state I've never been to before with people I don't know. I need to find some sort of balance, some sort of semblance of my Searching for meaning, life. as we all do, especially when you're that age, searching for meaning and identity. And she found it in Stargirl and, you know, Eclipso ruined all of that for her and then uses her body as a host. His whole thing is that he comes from the Shadow Realm, and so he is hell-bent on connecting the Shadow Realm to the Earth so that he can become a god and just feast on everyone's souls. So with Courtney now being controlled by him and the staff now glowing an evil purple color, you know, um, he, he goes into his villain monologue about how he feels both the darkness and the light and how no one is capable of wielding such power. And then my man Joe McHale shows up. Starman, oh, tell Mr. me that was Pemberton. your favorite payoff. Oh, bro, that was so, I was so no. hype because we only ever see him become a superhero in flashbacks, and that JSA flashback episode was incredible. Watching all those elder heroes because we've been watching kids this entire time, so to watch the the adults that they are the legacies of, it's it's almost like whenever anybody from the Justice League would appear in Young Justice, you're like, oh shit, an adult's in the room. Okay, I, I get this. Uh, it was the same thing when when Sylvester the showed up. This was it the way that they had to just decide. Oh, we are going to kill a person. Like he's not born evil. This isn't the embodiment of evil. This is a person that picked up a diamond that was corrupted by evil. Yeah, we need to vote on this, and and for Pat to say, well, Sylvester always told me, no matter what, you could always find a way around not taking a life and Sylvester's just like yeah I vote we kill him <laughs> yeah yeah and he comes and he comes back into that car with the blood on his on his suit and stuff it's not it's not easy and so to get to, to get that redemption have him come back have him grab the staff and him and Courtney do this like weird spinning in the air thing as they fight over the staff and he says like you know if you oh, if the staff beautiful. chose you that means you have mad you have the light in you you need that he light chose, to, yeah, to come out for a reason you Don't need to fight it. Like, fight it. Fight him. Yeah. 
And um, even Pat gets in on it about like, you just got to be who you are. Who are you? Like, you know, and as she is, she's thinking about who she is. She has these beautiful flashbacks with no sound that show her picking up the staff for the first time that show her having, you know, uh, lunch or dinner with the, her friends in the JSA at a Man, diner, her family. Yeah, and in this moment, I started to get emotional because the series got, like I said, it, it made it, it turned to, it, it, it went through a dark turn, but what all of a sudden you were reminded of how bright this series started and how bright of a light these, these characters are. And she's able to use that to her advantage and expel Eclipso out of her. And all of a sudden, you know, when we and we get cameos like Grundy comes back to help Rick, who doesn't have his powers anymore. Uh, Tiger, uh, uh, Tigris and Sportsmaster come back to uh, with Artemis in tow, all three of them to help the good guys. Uh, Jakeem is there. Mike's in the striped suit with the chainsaw and the, and the flamethrower like oh, you were just talking about. Hero, that hero shot, and I'm going to call it a hero shot, even if there is quote unquote villains there that hero shot of like 12 of them was so avengersy oh and shades there even after yeah, well, yeah, yeah. and at the funniest moment was before that moment after that moment happens you have grundy literally treating him like a hulk treated loki yeah <laughs> yeah yeah throwing through the street but then sadly as always even in the comics grundy dies and i just want to take a moment for everyone to know that of the entire 13 episodes of this season, Rick burying Grundy and doing a panning shot of that apple orchard tree, it truly made me cry. Like, not like tear up and quiver lip. No, 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 guys. I actually legit cried and said out loud, what the fuck is this <laughs> show? Because there is no reason for the man whose parents died by this monster for him to be burying this monster and using the seeds of the fruit, they bombed it over. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a when Rick was in jail, he threw the apple, like Grundy threw an apple at Rick through the window while Rick was in jail because that was their bond. Apples. <laughs> it, it, it was a touching tribute. And I wonder, cause Grundy is known to come back. He's basically a zombie. Um, I wonder if Grundy will remember. Rick, when when push comes to shove, I wonder if he's if he's gonna remember that friendship, and all that stuff. But um, with all the heroes and villains in tow, they corner old Eclipso, and they are asked what you know what they should do to him. What 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 what, what you know now they have him cornered. The and, light defeats the darkness. That's yeah. the best part. Jakeem tells oh, Thunderbolt that he wished that Eclipso was toast. And using, he gets shot with all the powers, like Shade shooting at him, and Starman and Star Girl both holding the the, the same staff at the same time. Yeah, yeah. they're all uh, shooting yeah, their energies at him. Uh, Jenny is shooting the the lantern ring at her, at him. Yeah. So there was a Shades in there doing his thing. Sort of, yeah, everybody had some sort of power that was able to stop him. And then good old Jakeem says, "I wish this guy was toast." Yep, and he turns into toast <laughs> with an eclipse burn on it, uh, which is kind of funny. And I think they're gonna put that in like the hall of whatever, whatever the pit stop, the new, the new pit stop, the old pit stop. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's uh, Eclipso is seemingly gone. And what an arc! And uh, I think our heroes are better for it. 
Um, these these wounds won't heal easily, but I think together that they can do anything. I believe in this team. I believe in those characters. I believe in that town. Um, but Nebraska is now seemingly going to be the hotbed because it looks like Mr. Bones uh, from the Helix Corporation, a corporation that seemingly Jenny was looking into because she believes her brother to be there. Um, he's going to be making his way into here sometime soon. Uh, the next season is called Frenemies. Uh, and and it's that's because, why I think it was going to be great. Yeah. No, good, it, good. No, I was going to say that. It's just it's because a lot of things are melding. Shiv, um, you know, is, is seemingly on the side of good as of right now. Cindy Berman is. The okay, Crocs. When she wanted to join the, the JSA, where she literally came to <laughs> – the way she came to Yolanda and she knew that Courtney wouldn't allow her to even have a, a chance to speak her 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 state her case. Yeah, that she went to Yolanda first, and she's like, "Listen, Courtney wouldn't do this without your permission." Right. I really want to join the J. Like, I love that the fact that the Crocs crooks. I call them the crooks. Crocs. crocs. I know they're the Crocs. I call them the crooks, and I really should not do that. But the Crocs moving next door and bringing over a little, a little, uh, I guess uh, you would call it a, um, a casserole of sorts. Yeah. They were holding like a casserole because that's that cliche neighbor. Let me bring you a tuna casserole. Right. Hello, neighbor. And Mike and Jakeem deciding, hey, we don't need to be in the JSA. We could just do our own little duo thing. Yeah. And just be best friends together. Like, Every all the buildup that's gonna surround that third season is it's gonna be beautiful. I think that might be the topper, and I hope, I truly hope that season three is better than season two because I want it to keep going where every season is better than the last. But the last season is a season that you need to progress like this. That's a, a good shows do this. Two, they compound on on the ideas placed in other seasons. <laughs> they don't just make up things whole cloth. They plant seeds so that they can, it can come to fruition later. We're talking to you Titans. We're and literally the, talking to you Titans. And possibly the biggest, you know, um unanswered question or whatever, it's going to be the thing of Icicle Jr. He's somebody who was in this entire series and seemingly oh, not knowing what, what happened to his father. Um, he doesn't know that his family has cryogenic powers. Um, um, and so he ends up finding that out by his grandparents at the end of this season. And I'm, I'm assuming we'll then also find out how his parent, his dad was killed. And who knows what's that gonna, what that's going to do for that character. And he's going to come into his own powers very soon. It just pissed me off. I don't know why. I guess it was, I guess it's because it's CW and it has to, there has to be something about CW that just makes me mad in a sense. But there was two moments in the entire series that made me actually like, why are we at this point? First off, and I, you have to agree with me because I know you've seen enough of it. Why does every CW show go to some kind of quote unquote shadow land oh, yeah. for a couple of flashes done it, uh, arrows done well, it? We just saw Titan, so and that was in the black and white as well. So I could see how I could see how that. Yeah. Like, like the, the crossovers has done it, where Flash had to go to that other realm to get uh, Oliver Queen Spectre. Yeah, you know. You know, like I trust you with my life type stuff. Like, right. why does CW find the need to go to purgatory? <laughs> they like playing around with that <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. 
Um, and then, and then that, that other moment was the way it it capped. Besides the fact that we got nothing of Icicle Junior for the entire series, other than Courtney keeps disappointing him, and he really likes her, and she can't see that he really likes her, mm-hmm. but everyone else can apparently see that he really likes her. We get this just final shot of his grandparents walking up to him, and he's like, "Oh, it's time to tell you about your origin," and then their eyes turn ice white and then he breathes yeah cold air and then he breathes cold air and it's like no oh, he doesn't do anything he doesn't do anything it's just them two i could have sworn he breathed i could he breathed he cold air he breathed he bro breathed cold air to mike but that was all an hallucination that's true that's true that's true yeah he doesn't breathe anything because i'm not because i was looking I was looking because I was like, "What? What's about to happen with this?" But no, he—they're still holding off on that. They're teasing when that moment happens where he uses his actual powers. But we have Isaac okay. Junior. We have Mister Bones. We have seemingly Courtney, who knows what she's going to be up to soon. Um, and yeah, frenemies. We're going to see some friends become enemies, and maybe some enemies become friends, and that's going to be the interesting thing with this. But this was such a rewarding show to to watch. I, I'm I'm glad you gravitated towards it so much because it makes it an exciting conversation to have chopping it up about star girl like i don't i don't know i don't want to say i don't know what it is because i truly know what it is this is genuinely my favorite dc series the way and i seen you with my own two eyes the way you gravitated towards doom patrol that first season the way you were just so encapsulated by the difference that an actual show can have when they care yeah. as opposed to just seeing the cliche standard on comic book TVs. Star girl hit me in a way that I, I never thought I couldn't. I, I said it a lot on the stars and sharks comic, but if Courtney Whitmore truly was who Jeff John's sister was Courtney John's, we truly, truly, truly lost a genuine superhero that came to life. And I look at, look at, I look at comic book shows as a way to relate to, you know, any guy, any girl can find this character. Like, Oh, that's me. I'm a badass like Scarlet witch. Uh, I'm, I'm this and this and that I'm good and moral like Steve Rogers, but Star Girl is a show where actual teenage girls can watch and relate to, feel from identity crisis of Courtney Whitmore to the not trusting guys because I I want I felt romantically and sexually viable to the I'm going through a divorce of my parents with Beth Chapel. There is so many ways a girl from 14 to 24 can watch this show and say, this is me can read this comic and say, I went through this. Yeah. And that's what affects me the most is that this is one of the most relatable shows to an angsty adolescent teenage girl. I think that, I think that like all heroes, you know, Jeff Johns made the best of his trauma and used it to help other people. 
Um, and that's that's truly what what distinguishes a hero and, and a villain. Trauma happens to all of us. Bad things happen to every single one of us. But we can use it as an excuse to hurt people or we can use it as an excuse to help people. And through cre- the creation of Courtney Whitmore, he's helped more people than he will ever know. Through the creation of Stargirl and, and now the series. his sister. Yeah. He iconicized his sister. His sister died almost 30 years, uh, like uh, 25 and a half years. Like, I think it was like 1997. 1996, his sister's been dead almost 30 years, and he iconicized her in a way where when Jeff Johns is dead, and in a thousand years, we'll forget about Jeff Johns, we will still have the newest adaptation of the Star Spangled Kid, Courtney Whitmore. I truly believe that even after the writers that create these comics die, these characters will live. If they're, they're done right, you know, if, if handled correctly and Stargirl hopefully won't be going anywhere and anytime Stars soon. Kid. I mean, Stars and Stripes. Yeah. You've read Stars and Stripes as well as I have. This is a character that can live in comics if done right. And if and when she returns in 2022 for season three, we'll be here to cover all of that. And speaking of season three, next week we cover season three of Doom Patrol. So we'll see how that will That's be going cool. there. But first and foremost, I want to thank you guys all for listening. This is the season of thanks. If you're listening to this uh, the day it drops, that means you're listening to it the day before Thanksgiving, which means that uh, I just want to let you guys all know that I'm incredibly thankful to all you guys who go to comicbookclick.com to look at every single episode of the Major Issues podcast, over 200 at this point. I want to thank everyone who buys the merchandise at TeePublic or they hit that shop CBC link at comicbookclick.com. I want to thank everybody who looks at the show notes, the notes that I meticulously write for every single episode that include links to our facebook.com slash comicbookclick, Instagram at comicbookclick, or use the hashtag comicbookclick to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to conference with comic book media. Those who have responded to us at Major Issues CBC on Twitter, thank you. You can even support us by giving us um, as little as 10 cents a day, $3 a month on patreon.com slash CBC clubhouse. And it helps us pay for the expenses of creating free content. Isn't that funny how that works? But I want to thank everyone. I just thank everybody yeah. as well. Cause I know you think I just want to thank everybody as well for the hundred plus subscribers we have on YouTube. Yeah, because as much as comic book click and major issues want to get more in, we will. This isn't a we want to. We will get more into the YouTube ever because we know reactions and uh, video essays are the biggest thing. I want to thank you guys for watching George react to the Superman and Lois show because I'm a fan of reactions. I love George knows. I love reactions. It's one of my biggest things. So for you guys. To just soak up the material of him watching Superman and Lois for the first time, it really touches my heart because so I means know you got to watch Superman and yeah. Lois now. That's your turn. No, I'm, I'm going. Uh, it's my turn to watch Superman and Lois, and between you and everybody else, and even my cousin who posts on Instagram that this is one of the greatest comic book shows he's ever watched, I am pretty sure Taylor Schilling's kills it as Superman and Lois, even though he was a real Taylor Hoshlin crap. Hoshlin, that's his yeah. name. Even though he's a real piece of crack in a uh, relationship. Oh, relationship? I th- he's in no, uh, uh, Palm Springs. 
Palm Springs. He was the husband in Palm Springs. Oh, yes, remember? he is. Yes, 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 he is. Um, but yeah, yeah, go to our YouTube, which we're, we have an official YouTube URL now because we have over 100 subscribers. So it's youtube.com slash C for channel slash comic book click. So youtube.com slash C slash comic book click. Um, but yeah, go reach out, reach out to us on social media. Consider becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash CBC clubhouse. Consider buying some merch with that shop CBC link at comicbookclick.com. But if you can't do any of those, try to rate and review us on iTunes. It's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like, and what you don't. We can make those changes to the show, become the kind of show that we're meant to be. Cause I've been to the future where we do become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books, comic book media. But if I tell you guys, then I release the black diamond and no one wants that to happen. If you see on my left forearm, it's a Dr. Manhattan tat, and on my right forearm, it's an Umbrella Academy tat. It's a lot of time travel. It's a lot of time travel right there on your arms. I've done too much time travel to know that we become the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest thing to come to all of comic book media, but the only way we get there is with the fan base. Yes. We need that fan base. We don't beg. We just ask you guys to try and open your minds to a world of people that aren't you know too much into the scripts we do this off the top of our head we do this off of our love for the media i love everything about comics george loves everything about comics gt and yogi and j cloud we love everything about comics and we just want to give you guys the best conversation we can yeah, I, I like talking to my friends about comics and I consider everybody who supports this one of my friends. So consider getting your op- opinions across by hitting us up wherever you can. You can email us at comicbookclick at gmail.com. I already gave all the socials for us. Literally, comic book click anywhere. Google us. We are everywhere. Our podcast exists on literally Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Attic. Major Issues Comics without it. Like I've, I literally Googled Major Issues Podcasts. We are three pages. Three yeah we're all over we're all over it we got our footprint there you can find us so make sure that you do because we 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 miss you guys coming um we got a holiday season coming up spider-man's coming up we got some big things rocking so make sure that you guys get on the bandwagon before it becomes full because then there won't be no room and then you know we got a big league you at that point nah ain't nobody trying to get big leagued so early on (laughs) So get get in while the getting is good and it doesn't get much gooder than Stargirl season two. But my name is George Serrano, aka the Don. I'm a very happy Dan the comic book man. And this has been a Stargirl season two uh review. And remember, whether or not you've chosen your own legacy, whether you're getting positive or negative reinforcement, whether you think the person that you are is the person that you will always be, remember that you can fight the darkness. Remember there's a little bit of light inside each and every one of us. Remember that we are stronger together. And if you remember absolutely anything that comes out of this podcast, please remember that you, yes, you are worthy.